welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. And this is our 180th episode. Our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. This is Jonathan's 54th appearance on the podcast. For a complete list, check the show notes. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over 10 years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And now, on to the show. Man, I'm winding down. I've had a long, busy day over here, for sure. Mm. Yeah, you were teaching earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had three pretty long hours at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you made it home uh, okay the other day when you called me. You sounded (laughs) pretty, uh, (laughs) pretty gone. Wait. You don't remember calling me? No. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> you, you fell asleep uh, on the phone. You don't remember any of this? I did? Yeah. Wait, was this... Hold on. Okay, the day that... Okay, there's only one day this probably could have happened, which would I have been last... I think you probably last, know which... Last day. Friday? No. What? Wait, uh-uh. what? Not last Friday? Mm-mm. You when said you were coming home from someplace. You were super drunk. You were walking home. You called that, me on that, Facebook. I did? Okay. Th- yes. That had to have been last Friday. Uh, let me look. I don't think it was, but maybe. It was like, that was the only time I got super drunk. Right. Maybe, maybe it was. I'm looking back <laughs> through the messages if it says when, because I had a missed call from you and then I called you back. <laughs> what did I say? I, I honestly have no idea. I had no idea. <laughs> honestly. Um, you said that you had gone on it. Was it a double date, maybe, or something, or something like that? You had been, you had been out with some people, and you'd been drinking a lot, and you're on your way. I don't think it would have been a double date. I was out with uh, six of my students. I think okay, five never or six mind. of my students. Yeah, maybe I wish I'd been on a double date. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I'd, I'd gone out with like five students, I think, and we had we drank two bottles of tequila after drinking a lot of beer and yeah. soju, and then we mm-hmm. also had some cocktails like gin and tonics and stuff. We were mixing and matching. It was utter oh, madness. Yeah, it sounded like it. <laughs> yeah. You, that's, you told me a little bit the... about your thoughts of uh, the debate before you'd seen it, but I thought maybe we could save that for the actual show when you're more coherent. <laughs> Okay, well, I have no memory of this conversation at all, so I, I yeah, I don't know what I said, so that's <laughs> fine. It's all new to me now. Oh, well, sounds good <laughs> for our listeners as well. <laughs> okay, well, that, that pieces together, because, like, that night, the next day, we all woke up, and I checked on my students and everything to see if everybody was okay, and basically, nobody knew how they got home. Mm. One guy had ridden a bicycle home, but he didn't know how. One guy had taken a taxi, but he didn't remember taking the taxi. I apparently walked home and was on a phone call, which I did not know. Mm-hmm. So that's fascinating. Okay. Well, okay. The yeah, mystery deepens. <laughs> well, I, I made sure you got home because you were on the way home, and then you got in the elevator, and then okay. you made your way in, and then, like, you stopped talking at a certain point, so I assume you just passed out, and then I sung up. <laughs> so that probably is what happened and i I don't know i I don't remember waking up if my phone battery was halfway dead or something it probably would have been if i did something like that i mean it must have been almost completely dead but i don't Uh think it was fully dead wow okay well (laughs) 
Uh, well, that's like I said, that's the that's the kind of drunk you only get once or twice a year. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, good to know. Okay, that that answers a few questions. Yeah, I, I was extremely drunk, and I don't remember how I got home. So that must have been like, you know, maybe calling you was like, uh, I gotta stay <laughs> conscious and cogent here, <laughs> otherwise I'm gonna be sleeping on the streets. I yeah, don't know. Exactly. Yeah, it was wild. We had a crazy time, but I think everybody had a pretty good time. Nobody vomited and stuff. So awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we've watched the uh, the vice presidential debate, and I'm very unclear right now as to whether or not they are having a presidential debate, a second presidential debate. I don't think are they, they going to do that again now? Are they back on or what? No, as far as I know, it's all. Uh, no, I think it's over. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe they had the, the dueling uh, town halls last night, but I, I haven't heard anything beyond that. But I would assume that there's not going to be any more. There might be, yeah. but I haven't heard anything about it, so I can look it up. Okay. But I don't know. I thought I heard that Trump was maybe wanting to do it again now or something, or something. He's, he's better from COVID or whatever now, so mm -hmm. he, I don't know. I mean, I'd just assume they didn't. <laughs> it's, it's Yeah. Uh, I mean, unless there are some really robust rules from the uh, the presidential debate commission or what, whatever the group that put these puts right. these on is. Well, last time they were working on the honor system that they had all tested, and so I don't think yeah, we can. No, I mean, on honor that. system and Donald Trump should never be used in the same sentence, basically, and they should know that. Yeah. The, uh, the very frustrating thing about the past four years is that. As individuals or as group, as an individual group, everybody goes into the Donald Trump situation thinking that they should give him the benefit of the doubt at the beginning, which is always wrong because you only get one chance and he never, you know, does the right thing. So it's like, yeah, no, there should be no, this guy lies like he breathes. There's no honor system with this guy. My God, you're risking the health of the, uh, of the, the two possible Oldest. leaders of the country for the next four years <laughs> yeah with a man who whose you know dishonesty is matched only by his incompetence <laughs> i mean so you assume yes he's the president you assume they're keeping him safe and taking care of him but yeah. everybody around him is incompetent basically mm -hmm. why mm -hmm. would you assume that <laughs> yeah absolutely. it doesn't give me great faith in the debate commission that they would you know Mm -mm. Ugh, drop the ball on something like that no i almost yeah. think he was trying to infect him honestly like it wouldn't cross yeah, my I, he wouldn't it, it may be too late for me but what will americans do if they can't have joe biden either <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. exactly and burn yeah. comes in off the ropes <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, I, I, I think like when when the next president comes in, we need to have a serious inquiry about exactly who knew what and when regarding mm -hmm. the president's infection mm -hmm. and exactly how much um, intentionality there was behind having him come late, not get tested, you know, be there without a mask, have his family yeah. take off their masks in the audience when they weren't supposed mm -hmm. to. And they know that people aren't going to are unlikely to challenge them because mm -hmm. It's a presidential debate. Your debate is your your purpose is to have the debate there. And if mm -hmm. if you kick out one of the two participants, then you're not doing a very good job at holding the debate, are you? <laughs> so it's kind of like they have a vested interest in keeping him there, even if he's you know flaunting the rules openly. So. Right. Well, that kind of brings us to this debate because they had a uh, plexiglass shield on either side of either of the candidates, which I don't know how much that does anyway. 
But um, I remember before the debate, the Pence team was like, well, she can have a barrier if she wants one. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Well, the I mean, I understand it to some degree. I mean, the implication is that, you know, <clears throat> Mike Pence and everybody else in the Trump administration are very likely infected and very likely uh, just spreading this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, obviously that can be an insulting thing if you're that guy. And, but um, I don't know. Why should we not assume that? Yeah, exactly. Especially since his eye was all bloodshot, too. Yeah, what was going on with that? It was like... Yeah. And then he rushed, and then after the debate, uh, he was going to make an appearance in Indiana to cast his vote or whatever, and he had like two more events after that that all got canceled, and he went back to Washington, D.C., so uh, who knows if maybe he even was tested and found positive. We don't even know, but I mean, he's been to other events since then, so if that's true, he's <laughs> gone off to infect more people, so... <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I assume he's okay now or whatever. We haven't heard anything, so. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, we will, anyways, we watched the, we watched the debate. Mm-hmm. The vice presidential debate between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence on uh, October 8th, 2020, um, at the University of Utah, held by the Commission on Presidential Debates. That's the organization I should have been name dropping there, I guess. <laughs> Um, and the, okay, the debate moderator was, uh, Susan Page from USA Today. What'd you think of her performance overall? Um, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, unfortunately I'm a little bit removed. It's been a week since I watched this thing, right? Right. Um, what can I say about her performance? Well, um, I don't know. US, USA Today, well, I don't know. What do we think of them as a news organization? That's an interesting question. Well, um, um, they are owned by Gannett, and Gannett is now owned by Hometown Media or something or another, and they own a lot of newspapers now. So they're very homogenous, um, kind of not very, I don't know, not very local, I guess. I mean, I guess they have local papers, but USA Today is like kind of a generic paper that you get when you stay in a hotel or something. <laughs> oh, no. I, yeah, I know what it is. I haven't I haven't seen an actual USA Today since probably like 1997. Uh, so. Well, they own the Indianapolis Star is the only reason I see it a lot, because they use a lot of stories from the USA Today network in the Indy Star nowadays. So Okay. I, I'm probably more familiar with it lately than I was before that happens. Well, I think I shared a link to you, which was the, uh, some sort of a a measure of political bias. And they said that USA today has a center media bias, um, Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean neutral, right? As the thing. Yeah. Apparently it doesn't mean neutral. It means that they, yeah, they aggressively, you know, go towards the center. They kind of defer to the status quo. Yeah. Which is a, you know, it's a position. So, and it, especially with a totally out of control administration like this one, to to proceed as normal is is a choice too. So yeah. Um, and I guess I guess there was some mention that in on uh, December 11th of 2019 last year, so almost a year ago, they did have an op-ed calling for Trump's impeachment. So mm-hmm. I guess credit there. But um. Uh, but I think I also heard somewhere that Susan Page herself 
has some involvement in Indiana or something, or she she had thrown a party for this woman with an Indian name who was Mike Pence's yes. protege or something in Indiana hmm. politics or something. I honestly, yeah, I don't remember what the story there was exactly, but yeah, that doesn't seem like there was some suggestion that she probably should have recused herself, mm-hmm. considering that she had a direct connection to one of the two participants. Uh, interesting you should say that about the moderator, because the uh, second debate, which was canceled in lieu of these town hall debates, because Trump wouldn't do the virtual debate. Um, so the guy that was supposed to do that debate was from C-SPAN, and he apparently lied about his Twitter account being hacked because he, before the debate, uh, Trump had been like needling him on Twitter and he sent what he thought I think was a direct message to Anthony Scaramucci saying, should I respond to Trump? But it was like a public message. And then after he like deleted it, everyone pointed this out. And then he said his Twitter account had gotten hacked. And then, like, a couple days later, they're like, well, he actually lied about this, so he's he's been suspended now. So. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's a mess and a half. Oh, I know. Yeah. Wow. And he's, like, okay. somebody I recognize from C-SPAN. He does all those, like, you know, the, if you ever watch C-SPAN, he's, like, he does, like, the call-in uh, thing where they have uh, authors on and have people call in and ask questions. Uh, hmm. he's, he's like an exec. I forget his name. It's like Scully or something or another. He's he, very, very familiar. If you ever watch C-SPAN or, or videos, I don't, I don't so. catch as much C-SPAN as I'd like to these days. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Bob. <laughs> We're Jeez. not all as passionate about the media as you, I suppose. Jeez. Where you been? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to return to my home drunk. <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, life. <laughs> Yeah, no, C-SPAN has some value. Um, mm. Okay. Uh, let's see. So uh, so Susan Page started off by saying something. She addressed the audience. Good evening. From the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, welcome to the first and only vice presidential debate of 2020, sponsored by the Nonpartisan Commission on Presidential Debates. I'm Susan Page of USA Today. It is my honor to moderate this debate, an important part of our democracy. In Kingsbury Hall tonight, we have a small and socially distant audience, and we've taken extra precautions during this pandemic. Among other things, everyone in the audience is required to wear a face mask, and the candidates will be seated 12 feet apart. The audience is enthusiastic about their candidates, but they've agreed to express that enthusiasm only twice, at the end of the debate and now when I introduce the candidates. Please welcome California Senator Kamala Harris and Vice President Mike Pence. She said, I'd like to congratulate you on scoring the most exclusive tickets in the world. Hamilton has nothing on the condition commission of presidential debates tickets. So Welcome, family of Mike Pence and family of Kamala Harris, and especially my bosses at USA Today. And I'm like, my God, you know, so much for, you know, American citizens, at least even being, you know, symbolically in the audience or whatever. It's like, okay, yeah. Another person's Congratulations to the people who already have power. Uh, You're invited to watch this debate, the most exclusive, you know, thing. I'm sure maybe they had some citizens out there, too, but. Yeah, I, I know. I know. I've been over this before, but do you think there's any value in having an audience there? I am. I really. They're not allowed to say anything. They didn't really say anything. Mm-hmm. 
So it's not like they need audience participation. It's not a Gallagher show. You're not going to smash water watermelons on them. You know? it's like, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I question the validity of the entire debate format. Um, hmm. It's, I think, I think, I think there are so many institutions in modern America that are just, you know, teetering on and persisting based only on inertia, basically. Um, they don't serve their function anymore. Um, you know, the debate format. Nobody ever answers a question they don't want to answer. Oh, this um, this debate was like, especially with Pence, was like, and I will. Kamala Harris did it too, but it's like, oh, well, before I answer that, I want to address something. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. Mike Pence was like perpetually behind. He was one question behind because yeah. he would try to keep attacking on some issue from the previous thing. Yeah. Or he'd wonder, I got to respond to that. I just, I really, I, I got to respond to that. You know, and and they always fold immediately. Oh, the moderators always fold when he pushes like that. And it's like, just insist, say no. Like, like yeah, just but, put your foot down. Yeah, the, but the problem is, like, he does that for one question, and then he has to do it for the next question. Yeah. And the next thing you know, he's done, like, three topics in a row where he's perpetually fighting the last verbal battle, and he's yeah. not answering the question. He's buying himself massive amounts of time to consider how he even wants to answer the the question he's been asked if he wants to address it at all and yeah it was ridiculous so mm -hmm. i mean and I, I i think like americans really need to think about what what is the desired function of a presidential debate or of you know a supreme court or of any any of these institutions that aren't really um behaving or performing the way that they're supposed to anymore mm -hmm. and a presidential debate is supposed to let people know what these people believe about certain things. And that doesn't work if they're able to obfuscate and, you know, muddy the waters and, you know, bring up meaningless examples or, you know, all these different tactics that they use. I think like it needs to not be conducted like a debate. It needs to be conducted like, you know, we're here to get answers. We're going to get the answers from you. Right. Make that hard for us if you want, but we're going to, you know, ask the same, same question again and again, you know, maybe like i think that alcohol should be involved <laughs> you know <laughs> like i mean you know if you don't answer the question the first time you take a shot and we ask you again <laughs> you know like and honest I, i'm not even joking about that like i seriously we want to get answers in vino veritas right mm -hmm. you know we're going to get you drunk and we're going to find out exactly you know we don't want your talking points talking points are bullshit we want to know and and that's another thing that i noticed the, the vibe that i get from mike pence is that this is not a man who's being honest because ever yeah um, because he's talking about i mean he is a right-wing person okay yes and i interact with right-wing people in some capacities in my life and i know how they talk and how they think and when you talk about like um you know what do you think about you know black people thinking that they're not being treated fairly these days or something he's like well you know it's a very sad story and there have been some tragic incidents uh but you know when it comes to black lives that matter i have to i support i stand with this police okay i have never heard a normal right-wing person do that you know that's not how they talk that's not how any right-wing person i think i know that they talks you know they don't preface it with you know a, a pay on to the poor black people in America or something, they go directly to blue lives matter, you know, right. They get very inflammatory very fast. What that tells me is that Mike Pence is either like the most enlightened right winger in ever conceptualized, or he knows he has to say this stuff before he says the other stuff. Otherwise he's going to come off badly. Yes. Right. 
and and that's something that I think you just you can really eliminate if you start getting if you if you I've heard people say it should be hosted like a dinner party or something like they're just sitting around dinner having a conversation not having a formal debate. I think the formal debate. I mean, I don't know. You know, we didn't have a debate club in, in Mitchell, Indiana. Uh, I didn't know nope. debate in university. We've never had any training in this. But, you know, as much as they hold it up as this lofty, idealized version of exchanging ideas, it's really just a way to obfuscate and confuse issues and throw out meaningless details that, you know, the other person, if they don't know the details, they can't counteract it right away. But it doesn't actually invalidate their argument. Mm -hmm. And the audience just gets confused or they think, oh, it sounds like that person answered the question. So I guess, you know, yeah, they're doing a good job, I guess. Even if they've totally avoided the actual question, yeah. Or they've, yeah. I, I think it's just it's just rife with uh, problems. Right. Well, I I think they should be doing more live fact checking because like they don't have any like it doesn't seem like there's any earpiece or any like screen that they can send notes to them. But I wish there was somebody off camera who was just like constantly googling and fact checking everything these people are saying. And either if you don't want to stop the flow of the debate, at least have it come up on the screen. This is true. That is not true. You know what I mean? Because like these lies that just get perpetrated over and over again, it's like those are what stick in people's heads just if they hear something a lot. And it's like if you don't correct it the first time, it's like you're saying that it's OK. You know, so it's I, there should be some yeah. way to like live back. I don't I don't know. I don't know if the, de the debate moderators could handle having an earpiece. in. I, I'm you know, maybe. I don't know, maybe like the news reporters, they're used to that or something on the news. I don't know how you do that. If, I don't know how you're having, you know, three conversations at the same time. And then you also mm -hmm. have an earpiece with somebody chiming in your ear while you're trying to listen to the people right in front of you. And certainly during the, the Trump-Pence debate, how chaotic and crazy that was. Uh, I Trump think, like, if there was an earpiece in, in, you know, in the guy's ear, uh, Mike, what's his name? Mike Wallace? Chris Wallace and it was Trump. Chris Wallace, yeah. If there had been an earpiece in Chris Wallace's ear, he probably his head would have exploded on live television, probably from just information overload. It wouldn't have um, that have been good, good television. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Saturday Night Live, if if you're listening, right? I do accept royalties for my uh, contributions. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, so yeah. Anyway, so the families of the candidates and. Her bosses at USA Today were in the audience, and they got the most exclusive political tickets in the in the world, I guess. Okay, so our first subject was what what would a Biden Pence or what sorry what would a Biden Harris administration do January and February that Trump wouldn't? Senator Harris and Vice President Pence, thank you for being here. We're meeting as President Trump and the First Lady continue to undergo treatment in Washington after testing positive for COVID-19. We send our thoughts and prayers to them for their rapid and complete recovery and for the recovery of everyone afflicted by the coronavirus. The two campaigns and the Commission on Presidential Debates have agreed to the ground rules for tonight. I'm here to enforce them on behalf of the millions of Americans who are watching. One note, no one in either campaign or at the Commission or anywhere else has been told in advance what topics I'll raise or what questions I'll ask. This 90-minute debate will be divided into nine segments of about 10 minutes each. I'll begin a segment by posing a question to each of you, sometimes the same question, sometimes a different question on the same topic. You will then have two minutes to answer without interruption by me or the other candidate. Then we'll take six minutes or so to discuss the issue. 
At that point, although there will always be more to say, we'll move on to the next topic. We want a debate that is lively, but Americans also deserve a discussion that is civil. These are tumultuous times, but we can and will have a respectful exchange about the big issues facing our nation. Let's begin with the ongoing pandemic that has cost our country so much. Senator Harris, the coronavirus is not under control. Over the past week, Johns Hopkins reports that 39 states have had more COVID cases over the past seven days than in the week before. Nine states have set new records. Even if a vaccine is released soon, the next administration will face hard choices. What would a Biden administration do in January and February that a Trump administration wouldn't do? Would you impose new lockdowns for businesses and schools and hotspots, a federal mandate to wear masks? You have two minutes to respond without interruption. Thank you, Susan. Well, the American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country. And here are the facts. 210,000 dead people in our country in just the last several months. Over 7 million people who have contracted this disease. One in five businesses closed. We're looking at frontline workers who have been treated like sacrificial workers. We are looking at over 30 million people who in the last several months had to file for unemployment. And here's the thing. On January 28th, the vice president and the president were informed about the nature of this pandemic. They were informed that it's lethal in consequence, that it is airborne, that it will affect young people, and that it would be contracted because it is airborne. And they knew what was happening and they didn't tell you. Can you imagine if you knew on January 28th, as opposed to March 13th, what they knew, what you might have done to prepare? They knew and they covered it up. The president said it was a hoax. They minimized the seriousness of it. The president said, you're on one side of his ledger. If you wear a mask, you're on the other side of his ledger if you don't. And in spite of all of that, today they still don't have a plan. They still don't have a plan. Well, Joe Biden does. And our plan is about what we need to do around a national strategy for contact tracing, for testing, for administration of the vaccine, and making sure that it will be free for all. That is the plan that Joe Biden has and that I have, knowing that we have to get a hold of what has been going on and we need to save our country. And Joe Biden is the best leader to do that. And frankly, this administration Thank has forfeited Thank you, their right Harris. to reelection based Th on this. Thank you, Senator Harris. Vice President Pence, more than 210,000 Americans have died of COVID-19 since February. The U.S. death toll as a percentage of our population is higher than that of almost every other wealthy nation on Earth. For instance, our death rate is two and a half times that of Canada next door. You head the administration's coronavirus task force. Why is the U.S. death toll as a percentage of our population higher than that of almost every other wealthy country? And you have two minutes to respond without interruption. Susan, thank you. And I want to thank the commission and the University of Utah for hosting this event. And uh, Senator Harris, it's a privilege to be on the stage with you. 
You know, our nation has gone through a very challenging time this year. But I want the American people to know that from the very first day, President Donald Trump has put the health of America first. Before, there were more than five cases in the United States, all people who had returned from China. President Donald Trump did what no other American president had ever done, and that was he suspended all travel from China, the second largest economy in the world. Now, Senator Joe Biden opposed that decision. He said it was xenophobic and hysterical. But I can tell you, having led the White House Coronavirus Task Force, that that decision alone by President Trump bought us invaluable time to stand up the greatest national mobilization since World War II. And I believe it saved hundreds of thousands of American lives. Because with that time, we were able to reinvent testing. More than 115 million tests have been done to date. We were able to see to the delivery of billions of supplies so our doctors and nurses had the resources and support they needed. And we began, really, before the month of February was art, to develop a vaccine and to develop medicines and therapeutics that have been saving lives all along the way. And under President Trump's leadership, Operation Warp Speed, we believe, will have literally tens of millions of doses of a vaccine before the end of this year. The reality is, when you look at the Biden plan, it reads an awful lot, like what President Trump and I and our task force have been doing every step of the way. I mean, quite frankly, when I look at their plan that talks about advancing testing, creating new PPE, developing a vaccine, um, it looks a little bit like plagiarism, which is something Joe Biden knows a little bit about. And I think the American people know that this is a president who has put the Thank health you, of America first, and the American people, I believe with my heart, can be Thank proud you, of the sacrifices they have made. It's saved countless you, American Mr. lives. Senator Harris. Would you oh, like to respond? Absolutely. I, whatever the vice president is claiming the administration has done, clearly it hasn't worked. When you're looking at over 210,000 dead bodies in our country, American lives that have been lost, families that are grieving that loss. And, you know, the vice president is the head of the task force and knew on January 28th how serious this was. And then, thanks to Bob Woodward, we learned that they knew about it. And then when that was exposed, the vice president said, when asked, well, why didn't y'all tell anybody? He said, because the president wanted people to remain calm. Well, let's get so I, but, no, but Susan, I, this is important. Susan, I, and I, I want to add, but if, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I have to I'm speaking. Yeah, you can so have 15 I, I more wanna, seconds, and then we'll give the vice president a chance you. to So respond. I want to ask the American people, how calm were you when you were panicked about where you're going to get your next roll of toilet paper? How calm were you when your kids were sent home from school and you didn't know when they could go back? How calm Thank were you, you Thank when you, your Senator children Harris. couldn't see your parents because you were afraid they could kill them? Let's give Vice President Pence a chance to respond. Vice well, President Pence, you have one minute to respond. You know, there's not a day gone by that I haven't thought of every American family that's lost a loved one. And I want all of you to know that you'll always be in our hearts and in our prayers. But when you say what the American people have done over these last eight months hasn't worked, that's a great disservice to the sacrifices the American people have made. I'm the reality, to the if, I may, if I may finish, Senator, the reality is Dr. Fauci said everything that he told the president in the Oval Office, the president told the American people. Now, President Trump, I will tell you, has boundless confidence in the American people, and he always spoke with confidence that we'd get through this together. But when you say it hasn't worked, 
When Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx and our medical experts came to us in the second week of March, they said if the president didn't take the unprecedented step of shutting down roughly half of the American economy, that we could lose 2.2 million Americans. And that's the reality. Thank you. They also Thank said to us President if we did everything right, Susan, we could still lose more than 200,000 Americans. Vice President now, one Pence. life lost is too Thank many, you. Susan. But the American people, I believe, deserve credit for the sacrifices that they have made, putting the health of their family and their neighbors first, our doctors, our nurses, our first Thank responders. Thank you, Vice President Pence. And I'm going to speak up on behalf of what the American people have done. Vice President Pence, you were in the front row in a Rose Garden event 11 days ago at what seems to have been a super spreader event for senior administration and congressional officials. No social distancing, few masks, and now a cluster of coronavirus cases among those who were there. How can you expect Americans to follow the administration's safety guidelines to protect themselves from COVID when you at the White House have not been doing so? Well, the American people have demonstrated over the last eight months that when given the facts, they're willing to put the health of their families and their neighbors and people they don't even know first. And President Trump and I have great confidence in, in the American people and, and their ability to take that information and put it into practice. In the height of the epidemic, when we were losing a heartbreaking number of 2,500 Americans a day, we surged resources to New Jersey and New York and New Orleans and Detroit. We told the American people what needed to be done, and the American people made the sacrifices. When the outbreak in the Sun Belt happened this summer, again, Americans stepped forward. But the reality is the work of the President of the United States goes on. A vacancy on the Supreme Court of the United States uh, has come upon us, and the president introduced Judge Amy Coney yes, Barrett. thank you. Thank you, Vice but President. At, at yes. that, if I may say, that Rose Garden event, there's been a great deal of speculation about it. My wife Karen and I were there and honored to be there. Many of the people who were at that event, Susan, actually were tested yes. for coronavirus, and it was an outdoor event, which yeah. all of our scientists regularly and routinely advise. The difference here is President Trump and I trust the American people to make choices in the best interest of their health. Uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris consistently talk about mandates, and not, not just mandates with the coronavirus, but a government takeover of health care, the you, Green New Pence. Deal, all government control. We're about freedom and respecting the freedom of the American people. Let's talk about respecting the American people. You respect the American people when you tell them the truth. You respect the American people when you have the courage Which we've to be a leader done. speaking of those things that you may not want people to hear, but they need to hear so they can protect themselves. But this administration stood on information that if you had as a parent, if you had as a worker knowing you didn't have enough money saved up, and now you're standing in a food line because of the ineptitude of an administration that was unwilling to speak the truth to the American people. So let's talk about caring about the American people. The American people have had to sacrifice far too much because of the incompetence of this administration. It is asking too much of the people. Susan, we talked no, about that. It is asking too much of the people Look, that they would not be equipped with the information they need to help themselves to protect Susan, their parents the and their no, I'm children. Sorry. Uh, Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, I mean, I'm sorry. It's I'm fine, I'm Kamala. No, no, you're Senator <laughs> Harris to me. Let's see. Kamala said, well, you're, she said various things. She said, you're on one side of Donald Trump's ledger if you wear a mask. You're on the other side if you don't. Um, the, this administration has forfeited their right to re-election. 
the vaccine should be free for all. <clears throat> and Mike Pence said something. Uh, Joe Biden called China travel ban xenophobic and hysterical. He talked about Operation Warp Speed, the you know Star Trek reference to attempt to uh, speed up the process of approving drugs, experimental drugs to deal with COVID, which I'm sure Donald Trump is probably screaming about somewhere right now. I want the vaccine out tomorrow, you know, (laughs) at least by November 2nd, something, you know, he's probably screaming about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's see. uh, Pence said Joe Biden's plans look a little bit like plagiarism, which is something Joe Biden knows a little bit about. I caught that. I guess. I mean, I forget the story. Joe Biden plagiarized something in one of his previous uh, presidential runs. And like now to the controversy that has suddenly erupted around the Democratic presidential candidate Joseph Biden. He gets himself into trouble. The charge that he has plagiarized parts of his speeches. On a couple of occasions, he's accused of lifting the words of others. And I started thinking as I was coming over here, why is it that Joe Biden is the first in his family ever to go to a university? Why is it that my wife, who's sitting out there in the audience, is the first in her family to ever go to college? The most memorable is at a debate in Iowa. Is it because our fathers and mothers were not bright? Is it because I'm the first Biden in a thousand generations to get a college and a graduate degree that I was smarter than the rest? At Iowa, he is caught using the words of Neil Kinnock, who's a British politician. Why am I the first Kinnock? in a thousand generations to be able to get the university. Why is Glennis the first woman in her family in a thousand generations to be able to get the university? Was it because all our predecessors were thick? And passing them off as his own. Is it because they didn't work hard? My ancestors who worked in the coal mines in Northeast Pennsylvania and come up after 12 hours and play football for four hours? Was it because they were weak? Those people who could work eight hours underground, and then come up and play football. He's quoted Kinnick before on the trail and cited him appropriately. In this instance, he just says the words as if they are extemporaneous Joe Biden words. Does not mention Kinnick, no citation. No, it's not because they weren't as smart. It's not because they didn't work as hard. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand. It was because there was no platform upon which they could stand. And then it gets picked up in the press. Biden seemed to be claiming Kinnock's vision and life as his own. I should have said, to paraphrase Neil Kinnock. The problem here is that Senator Biden told his audience he'd just been thinking about these things, and he failed to give any credit at all to his famous British speechwriter. So this moment begets other moments, um, unpleasant moments for Joe Biden. CBS News found a tape of a second instance. Biden had appropriated a famous litany from the late Robert Kennedy about what the gross national product cannot measure. It cannot measure the health of our children. The health of our children. The quality of our education. The quality of their education. The joy of their play. Or the joy of their play. There is a story on his record in law school. Joseph Biden admitted today that he committed plagiarism when he was in law school. He said it was a mistake. 
but that it was unintentional. He quoted five pages of someone else's work without proper citation. Then, question, <laughs> what law school did you attend and where did you place in that class? A video from the spring circulates of him. And the other question oh, is, yes. could you quickly, I think we I think, we I, I, think I probably Reagan. have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. Essentially telling a voter in New Hampshire who asked about his academic history, I probably have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. And he goes on to exaggerate his record in law school, saying things like, I was the only one in my class to get a full academic scholarship, and other things that turned out not to be true. And that combination of both the exaggeration and the sort of belligerence with a member of the electorate uh, did not sit well when that clip began circulating in wider fashion. And this sort of snowballs onto itself. If and when I've ever quoted anyone, without saying this is their quote. It's either because, in fact, it's been clearly known by everyone what it is, or I honestly did not know I was quoting somebody else. He has always been dogged by this idea, and it's an insecurity he's talked about a lot himself, that he was not necessarily a policy heavyweight or a brilliant thinker. He didn't go to an Ivy League school. And there was something of a chip on his shoulder as a result of this. And he really thinks he's been disrespected in the national media, not taken seriously enough. There's a cliche on Capitol Hill about workhorses and show horses. And the perception among a lot of people watching him is that he's a show horse. I took the cases out of the Law Review article and the footnotes out of the Law Review article, and I thought what I was doing honestly was the right way to do it. So he holds a kind of stop the bleeding press conference at the Capitol trying to essentially reset his campaign and stabilize himself as a candidate. And I footnoted it. And it does not go well. I was wrong, but I was not malevolent in any way. He comes off defensive, defiant. That I did not intentionally move to mislead anybody. I didn't. And you can see him really start to see his initial case, which was so rooted in his own personal integrity, start to fall away. And when that falls away, there's not a whole lot left because there was not a really strong policy undergirding this campaign in the first place. Oh, this was, yeah, decades ago, he like, I mean, maybe this is more than one incident he's referring to, but there was a British politician who had this famous speech that he paraphrased and claimed as, as his own, and I think there was another incident maybe beyond that of speechifying that wasn't necessarily original to Joe Biden that he claimed as his own, so. Yeah, well, didn't, I mean, didn't, didn't Trump's wife plagiarize... Yes. Michelle, Michelle Obama. Obama. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like the, I mean, the frustrating thing to me about, I mean, I'm a, I'm a layman, right? I'm just a normal guy. And these retorts come to me. Like, why are they not, why are they not coming to the democratic candidates? Like, why are they not saying, Hey, you know, like, like we said in the other th debate, you want to talk about my son using cocaine? What about, you know, there's a lot of rumors swirling about Don Jr. You know, <laughs> um, you, you, know you want to talk about Joe Biden plagiarizing a British politician in the 80s or something? What about Don, your boss's wife plagiarizing Michelle Obama, for God's sakes, who, who mm -hmm. by all accounts, Donald Trump can't stand the Obamas? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's always a, a, a hypocrisy at example, and it's not mm -hmm. too hard to reach for it. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a... I have no idea how you prepare for these debates. I'm not, I have no idea like what they tell you not to bring up, not to mention, not to go after, not to get baited into. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a strategy, but whatever. Um, 
let's see. Kamala then said something. Uh, she said, he said the president wanted people to remain calm. Uh, and then uh, I guess Mike Pence was interrupting and she said, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking, I'm speaking. And she kept having these moments where she said that she would say that or there was another thing that she would say sometimes. And, you know, I don't know. You saw you see all the memes on Twitter and Facebook and everything like, oh, when a black woman tells you she's speaking and she makes that face, you better watch out because you're about to get it. And like, never got it. Like, oh, nothing ever happened, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know. You have to treat I don't know. It was weird. Um, and he said, she said, so I want to ask the American people, how calm were you when you were panicked about where you were going to get your next roll of toilet paper? When your kids were sent home from school? When your kids uh, couldn't see your your parents because they might kill them? Which were, you know, it was a good line. It was all good points. Yeah, Donald Trump doesn't want to keep people calm. People have not <laughs> remained calm throughout this thing. And it's ridiculous to suggest that he lied to American people because he wanted anything for them. And he didn't want anything for them. He wanted whatever he wanted for himself. Like mm-hmm. people call me, he wanted the stock market, stock market. To knock out his real estate or whatever. Right. The golf courses and hotels or whatever. Mm-hmm. That he's losing money on already. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Uh, Pence said, saying it hasn't worked, I guess he's assuming the coronavirus response, is an insult to the sacrifices of the American people. Um, he dodged, then he dodged a question about the administration not following their own guidelines, leading super mm-hmm. spreader events at the Air, uh, Amy Coney Barrett event at the Rose Garden. He said, Trump and I trust the American people to make choices. I was thinking, like, how's that going for you? I mean, my God, today, what was it, like 60, 68,000 new in- infections in America nationwide in one it's day or something? It's insane. Crazy yeah, we're setting records Don't every trust day. the American people to make the right decisions. They're making shit decisions. Come on. <laughs> That's why we're in this mess right now. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're trying to claim that you – I mean, Yeah. That's that would be one thing if Americans were doing the right thing by and large. By and large, it seems that a lot of people are not. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, he says Biden and Harris talk about mandates, government takeover of health care, the Green New Deal. Um, uh, let's see. Kamala, Kamala responded. And again, I don't know. I'm, I, I tend to refer to politicians. I know I should say Senator Harris responded, yada, 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 but I mean, like, I don't know. I call him Pence because Mike is a common name. I call her Kamala because Harris is a common name. And I feel like Pence and Kamala kind of distinguishes them a little bit more. Yeah. You can shorthand it. It's fine. I don't I mean, think same. Any... Th- I mean, we, 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 I mean, Bernie, we call him Bernie most of the time. I mean, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. It's only, it's, it's just, only Trump you know, that would take umbrage because he wants to be called Mr. Trump or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to mockingly refer to him as the Donald, but I I, I don't I, I feel there was like a friendly jocularity to that that yeah. I don't no longer feel for him. So yeah, exactly. He's not quite as harmless as he once appeared. Yeah, it was cute when he was just this like idiot uh-huh. out there somewhere, but it's like care. it's not cute anymore. Uh-huh. Um, and Kamala responded, okay. Um, she said he was not respecting the people's choices by not giving them information, right? People can't make smart choices if the presidency is uh, giving them false information or not sharing 
uh, important information with them. No, mm-hmm. you can look at that if you want to see what something looks like. Uh, and, uh, okay, and speaking of naming, this is the, the right mm-hmm. moment to actually have mentioned that because the uh, moderator said, uh, uh, Kamala Harris, um, Senator Harris, I mean, I'm sorry. And Kamala said, that's fine, I'm Kamala. She says, no, no, you're, you're Senator Harris to me. And then she asked the question, would you take a Trump vaccine? And um, For life to get back to normal, Dr. Anthony Fauci and other experts say that most of the people who can be vaccinated need to be vaccinated. But half of Americans now say they wouldn't take a vaccine if it was released now. If the Trump administration approves a vaccine before or after the election, should Americans take it and would you take it? If the public health professionals, if Dr. Fauci, if the doctors tell us that we should take it, I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us I should t- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Kamala Harris said, um, uh, if health professionals, if Dr. Fauci tell us to take it, I'll be the first in line. But if Trump tells us to take it, I'm not taking it, which I thought was a pretty strong answer. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and this is the the first place I've noted that Don, well, second place I've noted that Pence was ignoring a question. He's, it was ignoring a question about being um, vice president to the oldest president ever if reelected, like if he was prepared to take over the duties or whatever or something. He said, uh, it's unconscionable to undermine confidence in a vaccine. Stop playing politics with people's lives. Uh, He said, we actually do know what failure looks like in a pandemic. It was 2009. The swine flu had just arrived in the United States. 60 million Americans contracted swine flu. I couldn't believe um, he tried this. Versus uh, only 7 million with COVID. If it had been as deadly as COVID, there would have been 2 million dead Americans. <laughs> like, honestly, I pretty much had forgotten about swine flu. Like, yeah. what? A bunch of people got sick and then nothing really happened. Like, okay, 14 million or something died. Is that is that right? Is that am I, I, I don't know what the, the tally was. 14, I'll have to look it up. But what year was it again? 2009 swine flu. I'll look it up. I don't know. It was like, I remember I was really freaked out about that when it first started, but once it was like, oh, this really isn't as much of a thing as I thought it was going to be, I kind of like relaxed about it, but I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I don't know. It's like, that was a successful, you know, it wasn't like this. This is like the biggest mass casualty event in like half a century. Like, this is, this is not even comparable. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a century. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it was a really like, if I'm a debate, if I'm a debate grader or something, which I guess I am, but if I were like an official debate grader, it's like, you know, to say that we actually do know what failure in a pandemic looks like. And it was that mm-hmm. this event that most Americans don't even remember. Like that, that is, that does not. Mm -hmm. a lot of points for me (laughs) you know yeah that's ridiculous well i'm looking at the um figures right here it looks like there was almost half a million confirmed cases 700 million estimated suspected cases uh, wait 700 million are we we're not talking about just america here yeah the world okay yeah i don't i don't know what the america's stats are i guess i should look for that but um anyways nowhere near what this is so yeah well i mean by his numbers it was more cases many more cases Mm. but a drastically lower fatality rate and that's i mean that's the important part i mean 
Yeah. Nobody cares if 60 million people got the sniffles. You know, yeah. nobody wants to shut down the economy uh-huh. for that. But when you've got 200 and what do we got? Almost 217,000 dead right now in America. Yeah. 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 You that, have to yeah. respond differently, Pence. That's this is what failure looks like. <laughs> nobody yeah. believes that the, the pig flu, the swine flu was a failure and this was a success. Yeah, that is that, a weak. That is weak sauce. Bizarre. Absolute weak sauce. Bizarre. Yeah. So strange. Yeah. Okay. There was another question. Do voters deserve to know presidential health information? Um, Vice President Pence, there have been a lot of repercussions from this pandemic. In recent days, the president's diagnosis of COVID-19 has underscored the importance of the job that you hold and that you are seeking. That's our second topic tonight. It's the role of the vice president. One of you will make history on January 20th. You will be the vice president to the oldest president the United States has ever had. Donald Trump will be 74 years old on Inauguration Day. Joe Biden will be 78 years old. That already has raised concerns among some voters, concerns that have been sharpened by President Trump's hospitalization in recent days. Vice President Pence, have you had a conversation or reached an agreement with President Trump about safeguards or procedures when it comes to the issue of presidential disability? And if not, do you think you should? You have two minutes without interruption. Well, Susan, uh, thank you. Although I would like to go back. I, I to, think we need uh, to move on well, to the issue you, of Well, thank you, but I would like to go back because the reality is that we're going to have a vaccine, Senator, in record time, in unheard of time, in less than a year. We have five companies in phase three clinical trials, and we're right now producing tens of millions of doses. So the fact that you continue to undermine public confidence in a vaccine, if the vaccine emerges during the Trump administration, I think is is unconscionable. And Senator, I, I just ask you, stop playing politics with people's lives. The reality is that we will have a vaccine, we believe, before the end of this year. And it will have the capacity to save countless American lives and and your continuous undermining uh, of confidence in a vaccine is just, it's just unacceptable. And let me also say, you know, the reality is when you talk about, about failure in this administration, we actually do know what failure looks like in a pandemic. It was 2009, the swine flu arrived in the United States. Thankfully, it was ended up not being as lethal as the coronavirus. But before the end of the year, when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, not seven and a half million people contracted the swine flu. Sixty million Americans contracted the swine flu. If the swine flu had been as lethal as the coronavirus in 2009, when Joe Biden was vice president, we would have lost two million American lives. His own chief of staff, Ron Klain, would say last year that it was pure luck that they did, quote, everything possible wrong. And and we learned from that. They left the strategic national stockpile empty. They left uh, an empty and hollow plan, but we still learned from it. And I I think the American people, I'm going to say again, can be proud of what we have done. And Senator, please stop undermining confidence in a vaccine. Senator Harris, let me ask you the same question that I asked Vice President Pence, which is, have you had a conversation or reached an agreement with Vice President Biden about safeguards or procedures when it comes to the issue 
of presidential disability? And if not, and if you win the election next month, do you think you should? You have two minutes uninterrupted. So let me tell you, first of all, um, the day I got the call from, from Joe Biden, it was actually a Zoom call, um, asking me to serve with him on this ticket was probably one of the most memorable, memorable days of my life. Um, I, you know, I thought about my mother, who came to the United States at the age of 19, um, gave birth to me at the age of 25 at Kaiser Hospital in Oakland, California. And um, the thought that I'd be sitting here right now, um, I know would make her proud, and she must be looking down on this. Um, you know, Joe and I were raised in a very similar way. We were raised with values that are about hard work, about the value and the dignity of public service, and about the importance of fighting for the dignity of all people. And I think Joe asked me to serve with him because, you know, I have a career that included being elected the first woman district attorney of San Francisco, where I created models of innovation for, for law enforcement in terms of reform of the criminal justice system. I was elected um, the first uh, woman of color and black woman to be elected attorney general of the state of California, where I ran the second largest department of justice in the United States, second only to the United States Department of Justice. And there I took on everything from transnational criminal organizations to the big banks that were taking advantage of homeowners, to for-profit colleges that were taking advantage of veterans. And then, of course, now I serve in the United States Senate as only the second black woman ever elected to the United States Senate. I serve on the Senate Intelligence Committee where I've been in regular receipt of classified information about threats to our nation and hotspots around the world. I've traveled the world. I've met with our soldiers in, our, in war zones. And I think Joe has asked me to serve with him because he knows that we share we share a purpose which is about lifting up the American people. And after the four years that we have seen of Donald Trump unifying our country around our common values and principles. Thank you, Senator Harris. You know, neither, neither President Trump nor Vice President Biden has released a sort of detailed health information that had become the modern norm until the 2016 election. And in recent days, President Trump's doctors have given misleading answers or refuse to answer basic questions about his health. And my question to each of you in turn is, is this information voters deserve to know? Vice President Pence, would you like to go first? Well, I, uh, Susan, thank you. And, uh, and let, me, let me say on behalf of the president and the first lady how moved we've all been by the outpouring of prayers and concern for the president. And I do believe it's emblematic of the prayers and the concern that have ushered forth for every American impacted by the coronavirus. But the care the president received at Walter Reed Hospital, the White House doctors was exceptional. And the transparency that they practiced all along the way will continue. The American people have a right to know about the health and well-being of their president and will continue to do that. But I'm just extremely grateful and was more than, more than a little moved uh, by the broad and bipartisan support. And uh, Senator, I want to thank you and Joe Biden for your expressions and genuine concern. Mm -hmm. And I also want to congratulate you, uh, as I did on that phone call, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. on uh, the historic nature of your nomination. Thank you. Uh, I, I never expected to be on this stage four years ago, so I know the feeling. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, the reality is uh, we've got an election before the American people in the midst of this challenging year. 
And the stakes have never been higher, Thank but you. I think the Thank choice you, has never President. been clear. Yes, I want to give Senator Harris a chance to respond to the same question I asked, which is, do voters have a right to know more detailed health information about presidential candidates, and especially about presidents, especially when they're facing some kind of challenge? Absolutely. And that's why Joe Biden has been so incredibly transparent, and certainly, by contrast, um, the, the president has not, um, both in terms of health records, but also, let's look at taxes. Um, we now know, because of great investigative journalism, that Donald Trump paid $750 in taxes. When I first heard about it, I, I literally said, you mean $750,000? And it was like, no, $750. We now know Donald Trump owes and is in debt for $400 million. And just so everyone is clear, when, when we say in debt, it means you owe money to somebody. And it'd be really good to know who the president of the United States, the commander in chief, owes money to, because the American people have a right to know what is influencing the president's decisions. And is he making those decisions on the best interest of the American people, of you, or self-interest? So, Susan, I'm glad you asked about transparency, because it has to be across the board. Joe has been incredibly transparent over many, many years. The one thing we all know about Joe, he puts it all out there. He, he is honest, he is forthright, but Donald Trump, on the other hand, Susan. has been thank, about covering up everything. Thanks, thank you, Susan. Senator Harris. I want to give you a chance to respond, Vice President. Well, look, I, I respect the fact that Joe Biden spent 47 years in public life. I respect your public service as well. Thank you. But the American people have a president who is a businessman, who's a job creator, who's paid tens of millions of dollars in taxes, payroll taxes, property taxes. He's created tens of thousands of American jobs. And the president said those public reports are not accurate. And, and the president's also released literally stacks of financial disclosures the American people can review just as the law allows. But the distinction here is that Joe Biden, 47 years in public service compared to President Donald Trump, who brought all of that experience four years ago. Thank you, thank you, and Vice President. And turned this economy around by cutting taxes, rolling back regulation, thank you, thank you, American Vice President. energy, yes. fighting for free and fair trade, and all thank, of that's thank on you, the Vice line President if Pence. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You know and Pence, I don't know, he said something like, I want to congratulate you on the historic nature of your nomination. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. He probably said something else. Again, I, I can't get everything that he says, but mm -hmm. he, that's what I thought was noteworthy. Yeah. Um, oh let's see. Kamala said oh Trump paid $750 in taxes and he's $400,000 in debt. Who does commander in chief owe money, owe that money to? Again, somehow they've gotten away from the question pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Pence says Donald Trump was a businessman, a job creator, he paid tens of millions of dollars in taxes, payroll taxes, property taxes. The president says those public reports are not accurate, talking about the New York Times article that said that he only paid $750 in taxes. You know, that's a good segue into our third topic, segue. which is about the economy. This has been another aspect of life for Americans. It's been so affected by this coronavirus. We have a jobs crisis brewing. On Friday, we learned that the unemployment rate had declined to 7.9% in September, but the job growth had stalled, and that was before the latest round of layoffs and furloughs in the airline industry at Disney and elsewhere. 
Hundreds of thousands of discouraged workers have stopped looking for work. Nearly 11 million jobs that existed at the beginning of the year haven't been replaced. Those hardest hit include Latinos, blacks, and women. Senator Harris, the Biden-Harris campaign has proposed new programs to boost the economy, and you would pay for that new spending by raising $4 trillion in taxes on wealthy individuals and corporations. Some economists warn that could curb entrepreneurial ventures that fuel growth and create jobs. Would raising taxes put the recovery at risk? And you have two minutes to answer uninterrupted. Thank you. Um, on the issue of the economy, I, th I think there couldn't be a more fundamental difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Joe Biden believes you measure the health and the strength of America's economy based on the health and the strength of the American worker and the American family. On the other hand, you have Donald Trump, who measures the strength of the economy based on how rich people are doing, which is why he passed a tax bill benefiting the top 1% and the biggest corporations of America, leading to a $2 trillion deficit that the American people are going to have to pay for. On day one, Joe Biden will repeal that tax bill. He'll get rid of it. And what he'll do with the money is invest it in the American people. And through a plan that is about investing in infrastructure, something that Donald Trump said he would do, I remember hearing about some infrastructure week, I don't think it ever happened, but Joe Biden will do that. He'll invest in infrastructure. It's about upgrading our roads and bridges, but also investing in clean energy and renewable energy. Joe is going to invest that money in what we need to do around innovation. There was a time when our country believed in science and invested in research and development so that we were an innovation leader on the globe. Joe Biden will use that money to invest in education. So for example, for folks who want to go to a two-year community college, it will be free. If you come from a family that makes less than $125,000, you'll go to a public university for free. And across the board, we'll make sure that if you have student loan debt, it's cut by $10,000. That's how Joe Biden thinks about the economy, which is it's about investing in the people of our country, as opposed to passing a tax bill, which had the benefit of letting American corporations go offshore to do their business. Thank you, You're Senator welcome. Harris. Vice President Pence, your administration has been predicting a rapid and robust recovery. But the latest economic report suggests that's not happening. Should Americans be braced for an economic comeback that is going to take not months, but a year or more? You have two minutes to answer uninterrupted. When President Trump and I took office, America had gone through the slowest economic recovery since the Great Depression. It was when Joe Biden was vice president, they tried to tax and spend and regulate and bail our way back to a growing economy. President Trump cut taxes across the board. Despite what uh, Senator Harris says, the average American family of four had $2,000 in savings in taxes. And with the rise in wages that occurred, most predominantly for blue-collar, hardworking Americans, the average household income for a family of four increased by $4,000 following President Trump's tax cuts. But America, you just heard Senator Harris tell you, on day one, Joe Biden's going to raise your taxes. It's really remarkable to think, Susan. I mean, right after a time where we're going through a pandemic that lost 22 million jobs at the height. We've already added back 11.6 million jobs because we had a president who cut taxes, rolled back regulation, unleashed American energy, fought for free and fair trade, 
and secured $4 trillion from the Congress of the United States to give direct payments to families, save 50 million jobs through the Paycheck Protection Program. We literally have spared no expense to help the American people and the American worker through this. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to raise taxes. They want to bury our economy under a $2 trillion Green New Deal, which you were one of the original co-sponsors of in the United States Senate. They want to abolish fossil fuels and ban fracking, which would cost hundreds of thousands of American jobs all across the heartland. And Joe Biden wants to go back to the economic surrender to China, that when we took office, half of our international trade deficit was with China alone. And Joe Biden wants to repeal all of the tariffs that President Trump put into effect to fight for American jobs and American workers. Joe Biden says democracy's on the ballot. Make no mistake about it, Susan. The, the American economy, the American comeback is on the ballot with four more years of growth Thank you, and opportunity, Thank four you, more years of President Donald Trump. 2021 Thank is going to be President the biggest Pence. economic year in the history of this country. Thank you, Vice President Pence. Senator Harris? Well, I mean, I thought we saw enough of it in last week's debate, but I think this is supposed to be a debate based on fact and truth. And the truth and the fact is Joe Biden has been very clear he will not raise taxes on anybody who makes less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. He said he's going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Well, <laughs> I'm speaking. It'd be important if you said the truth. Right. Joe Biden said twice <laughs> in the debate last week that he's going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. That was tax cuts that gave the average working family two thousand dollars in a tax break every single year. That Senator, is, that is that's absolutely the not true. That is he tax only bill, cutting? Is he only going to repeal part of the Trump tax cuts? If you don't mind letting me finish, we can Please. then have a conversation. Okay? Please. Okay. Joe Biden will not raise taxes on anyone who makes less than $400,000 a year. He has been very clear about that. Joe Biden will not end fracking. He has been very clear about that. <laughs> Joe Biden is the one who, during the, the Great Recession, was responsible for the Recovery Act that brought America back. And now the Trump-Pence administration wants to take credit when they, ran, when they rode the coattails of Joe Biden's success for the economy that they had at the beginning of their term. Of course, now the economy is a complete disaster. But Joe Biden, on the one hand, did that. On the other hand, you have Donald Trump, who has reigned over a recession that is being compared to the Great Depression. On the one hand, you have Joe Biden, who was responsible with President Barack Obama for the Affordable Care Act which brought health care to over 20 million Americans and protected people with pre-existing conditions. And what it also did is it saved those families who otherwise were going bankrupt because of hospital bills they could not afford. On the other hand, you have Donald Trump, who's in court right now, trying to get, rid of, Thank you, trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, which means that you will lose protections if you have pre-existing conditions. And I just, this is very important, Susan. Yes, and it's important. but we need to give, we need to give Vice President... I'd just like to, he interrupted me, and I'd like to just finish, please. If you have a pre-existing condition, heart disease, diabetes, breast cancer, they're coming for you. If you love someone who has a pre-existing condition, Thank you. Thank they're you, Senator coming Harris. for you. If Not you are under the age of 26 on your parents' coverage, they're coming for you. Senator Harris, thank you. You're welcome. Let me give you a chance to respond. Well, I hope we have a chance to talk about health care because Obamacare was a disaster. The American people remember it well. And President Trump and I have a plan to, to improve health care and to protect pre-existing conditions for every American. 
But look, uh, Senator Harris, you're, you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. You yourself said on multiple occasions when you were running for president that you would ban fracking. Joe Biden looked at a supporter in the eye and pointed and said, I guarantee, I guarantee that we will abolish fossil fuels. They have a $2 trillion version of the Green New Deal, Susan, that your newspaper, USA Today, said really wasn't that very di different from the original Green New Deal. More taxes, more regulation, banning fracking, abolishing fossil fuel, crushing American energy, and economic surrender to China is a prescription for <laughs> economic decline. President Trump and I will keep America growing. The V-shaped recovery that's underway right now We'll continue with four more years of President Donald Trump. In the thank, thank you very, very much, Vice President Pence. Once again, you've provided the perfect segue to a new topic, which is climate change. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting that he said the president says those public reports are not accurate. Not that they are, just that he says they are. Yeah, this seems like some serious ass covering from Mike Pence to me. Like, Absolutely. I'm not saying those reports are inaccurate. I'm saying Donald Trump said they were. So if it turns out that that's not true later, then don't blame me. I'm just, you know, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying what he says. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And he's not even when he denies it, he's not even denying anything specific. He's just denying it. He's just called fake news. Whole thing. It's like, well, which part? No. <laughs> Citation needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, at this point, they got to the third of what I thought were supposed to be six topics, but I think they were actually more, mm. which was the economy. Mm -hmm. um, would Joe Biden raising taxes hurt the recovery? <laughs> um, Kamala says, repeal tax cuts for the top 1% infrastructure investment. Um, she makes reference to infrastructure week, week uh, kind of mm -hmm. a running joke of the Trump presidency that they were ever going to get around to infrastructure week. Um, a $2 trillion deficit. Um, and then she brought up something that I thought was very interesting, which is actually the first I'd heard of it, which is a two-year uh, two community college would be free under Joe Biden. Uh, families that make less than $125,000 a year would, could go to a public university for free. Um, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm very curious if that's retroactive or not. Hmm. because that could be pertinent to some people <laughs> if that were retroactive. <laughs> yes. Holla at your boy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, and they talked about student student loan debt across the board would be cut by $10,000 per person, I guess. So that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's something. You know, that's not Bernie Sanders levels of something, but that's, you know, that's something that I'm curious. About. And I'm, I'm fascinated I'm a, you know, I'm a politically engaged person. Here we go. I, I don't check the candidates' websites every day. But why am I just hearing about this for the first time at the vice presidential debate, like, you know, right. a month before the election, right? Right. Like, why are they not blaring this from the rooftops? Like, if they were using Facebook ad targeting properly or something, they would they would be getting this message to me. <laughs> yeah, this, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is pertinent. Infer this is, okay. In defense of the debate, this is one of the two major revelations in this debate that was a revelation of something that Joe Biden wants to do, apparently, that I have not heard of yet. And, so that, and for that reason, it's uh, it's uh, pertinent, it's valid, it's useful information to have. So I want to know more about that. I want to know if that's going forward from you know January 20th or if that's retroactive. I want to know a lot of things about that.
Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like the debt forgiveness for ten thousand dollars across the board. It sounds like that's going to be retroactive. You know, going mm-hmm. back to win. Though, I'm curious about a lot of things about that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and and frankly, I think it's an absolute crime. Mm-hmm. It's political malpractice that Joe Biden didn't hash this out with Bernie Sanders months ago when they were doing the uh, the commissioner or whatever between the two campaigns to to. And this was one of the things that was one of Bernie's issues that Joe Biden didn't sound like he was ever going to compromise on. Mm-hmm. And, the, and you know what? People like Kyle Polinsky. I mean, these were these were some of the issues as well as like, I think, um, Medicare for all uh, legalized marijuana student loan forgiveness, stuff like this. These were issues that they said, you know, they basically said on their shows, mm-hmm. right now I'm not voting for Joe Biden. If Joe Biden will embrace any two two out of three of these issues or something, then he's got my vote. If he doesn't, then, you know, that's a deal breaker for me. Mm-hmm. And that was the narrative they put out to their audiences. And, and I've said before, I think it's irresponsible for people in safely blue states who have, you know, hundreds of thousands of, you know, monthly YouTube viewers to put out the message that they're not going to vote for Donald Trump because it spreads out to people who are not in safe blue states who take cues from these. People, you mean not going right? to vote for Joe Biden? Yeah. And I think I think both of those guys have come around on that now and they're going to vote for him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's several months of uh, bad press for Joe Biden with some very people with some very big microphones talking to the far left, basically, mm-hmm. you know, who are not on your side. And they're just sitting there saying every day why they're not going to vote for you. You know, you that this shit should have been out there months ago. You should have realized this is what you have to do. Put it out there. Let these people know it and get them on side early. Mm-hmm. So it's you know I'm glad that they're coming to it now, but it's very frustrating that they that I'm hearing about this less than a month before the debate. You know, it is frustrating. Yeah. Um. Okay, so that was that was one of the interesting points where we actually gained some new information about this thing, and and you mm-hmm. know for our listeners, I hope that that is something that you know may influence them. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's see. Um, Mike Pence then complained about under Obama, the slowest economic recovery since the Great Depression. (laughs) And it's it's like, again, this guy is just this is the problem with debate format. That may be true, but that's because this was the greatest economic disaster in America since the Great Depression, if I'm not wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Major disasters uh, bring about very slow recoveries. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's a fact. That's not a, you know, yeah, it's too bad. The last Republic, the previous public Republican president got us into another disaster where we had to drag ourselves out. And it's a sad story. Once again, that Donald Trump has once again, dragged us into an economic disaster that we once again are going to have to drag ourselves out of with a Democrat, uh, which is a trend that we have commented on many times here. He says, he said he continues 2021 is going to be the biggest year for the economy. I don't know what that means. That could be a very good thing or a very bad thing. Yeah. So, um, uh, Kamala said that Biden will not raise taxes on anybody making less than $400,000 a year. And I'm like, my God, is that the, is that the democratic definition of middle class now? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. 
I don't know. In my in my book, if you're making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're upper class solidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's that's not going to be you know a popular opinion perhaps in certain areas, but right. Four hundred, yeah. And 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 the it's again it's so frustrating. So many people complain about oh Democrats are going to raise taxes. Oh I worked hard for the money. Oh da 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 da. Like literally, if you're if you're not making more, how many of those people who complain and bitch about that on the internet or whatever? Are making more than four hundred thousand dollars a year? Probably not, but they could in the future, yeah, and they don't the want to. One percent of the one percent or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, basically one day none of the people be... on our Facebook feed. So yeah, right. <laughs> but but we never stop hearing about it from them. So. Um. Uh, so Pence continue uh, tax back. He said he's going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. He said so, like the Trump cat tax cuts benefit people, I guess. The implication being that the Trump tax cuts do benefit people making less than $400,000 per year. So how can he say that he's both going to repeal the entire Trump tax cut, but he's not going to raise taxes on anybody making less than $400,000 a year? It's like, I don't know. There's probably a reasonable explanation middle ground somewhere there. But yes, you may have caught him on a technicality that he said two things, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's (laughs) your administration is responsible for 200,000 dead Americans like. Mm-hmm. Okay, listen, you know, yeah, congratulations. You caught him on a, a discrepancy, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Continuing along. Um, Kamala interrupted. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. And he says, well, uh, his, uh, he says, I'm speaking. And he said, said uh, the importantness is the truth. If you don't mind letting me finish, we can have a conversation, okay? <laughs> and she continues, uh, and now the Trump-Pence administration wants to take credit when they rode the coattails of Joe Biden's success for the economy that they had at the beginning of their term. Of course, now the economy is a complete disaster. Exactly, well said. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I think the the moderator was interrupting, and and Colin said he inter- he interrupted me, and I'd like to just finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at this point, they have somehow they have shifted from the stated topic. OK, the stated topic is the economy. So they've gone from the economy. <laughs> but then it's Pence's turn. And mm-hmm. he says Obamacare was a disaster. And like, I hope we'll get a chance to talk about Obamacare. You're you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Mm-hmm. This is the first of two times that he'll reference that old that old chestnut from. Yeah. What was that was that uh, was that uh, Nixon? I don't remember who said it first. I'll have to look it up. But yes, it's an old phrase. Yeah, it's it's before my time, but I want to say that was Nixon, maybe. Oh, sorry, not Nixon. Reagan. Reagan. I Reagan. Say. Yeah, I believe it was Reagan. Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Oh well, never mind. Who was it? He? May have been. Uh, oh wait, hold on. Let me let me see. Yeah, it might have, might have been related to Nixon though. It might have been in you know, a letter to Nixon. Um, okay. Anyway, go on. I'll research it while you're talking. <laughs> okay, so so again, he's so now he's shifted the topic from the economy to the ACA, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. If you're a freak, um, <laughs> if you're freaky or whatever, how did uh, if you're nasty, Janet Jackson say, if you're, if you're nasty. nasty, yeah, <laughs> that's a, that'd be a good t- Bob. There's a title for the the podcast, uh, <laughs> the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare if you're nasty. Yes. 
Oh, that wouldn't actually be a good title because we're talking about the debates, but uh, it's a tight, <laughs> it's a tight line, I think. Uh huh. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Um, so he, he says, okay, Obamacare was a disaster. You're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Um, you have just said that you would ban fracking. And okay, so so they've gone somehow somehow they've gone from talking about the economy to Pence bringing up the ACA to Pence switching to fracking. So he, he's changed topics three times in a completely like um, in a way that there was really no there was no lead in for that from what I can remember. So mm-hmm. it was really bizarre to me. Yeah. But then uh, Susan Page says, thank you very much, Mr. President. Once again, you've provided the perfect segue to a new topic, which is climate change. And Vice President Pence, I'd like to pose the first question to you. This year, we've seen record-setting hurricanes in the South. Another one, Hurricane Delta, is now threatening the Gulf. And we have seen record-setting wildfires in the West. Do you believe, as the scientific community has concluded, that man-made climate change has made wildfires bigger, hotter, and more deadly, and have made hurricanes wetter, slower, and more damaging. You have two minutes uninterrupted. Thank you, Susan. Well, first, I'm very proud of our record on the environment and on conservation. According to all of the best estimates, our, our air and land are cleaner than any time ever recorded, and our water is among the cleanest in the world. And just a little while ago, the president signed the Outdoors Act. It's the largest investment in our public lands and public parks in 100 years. So President Trump has made a commitment to conservation and to the environment. Now, with regard to climate change, the climate is changing. But the issue is, what's the cause and what do we do about it? President Trump has made it clear that we're going to continue to listen to the science. Now, Joe Biden... And Kamala Harris would put us back in the Paris Climate Accord. They'd impose the Green New Deal, which would crush American energy, would increase the energy costs of American families in their homes, and literally would crush American jobs. And President Trump and I believe that the progress that we have made in a cleaner environment has been happening precisely because we have a strong free market economy. You know, what's remarkable is... The United States has reduced CO2 more than the countries that are still in the Paris Climate Accord, but we've done it through innovation, and we've done it through natural gas and fracking, which, Senator, the American people can go look at the record. I I know Joe Biden says otherwise now, as you do, but the both of you repeatedly committed to abolishing fossil fuel and banning fracking. And so by creating the kind of American innovation, we're actually steering toward a stronger and better environment. With regard to wildfires, President Trump and I believe that forest management has to be front and center. And even Governor Gavin Newsom from your state has agreed we've got to work on forest management. And with regard to hurricanes, the National Oceanic Administration tells us that actually as as difficult as they are, there are no more hurricanes today than there were 100 years ago. Thank you. But many of the climate alarmists use hurricanes and wildfires to try and sell their bill of goods of a Green New Deal. And President Trump and I are going to always put American jobs and American workers first. Senator Harris, as the vice president mentioned, you co-sponsored the Green New Deal in Congress. But Vice President Biden said in last week's debate that he does not support the Green New Deal. But if you look at the Biden-Harris 
campaign website, it describes the Green New Deal as a crucial framework. What exactly would be the stance of a Biden-Harris administration toward the Green New Deal? You have two minutes uninterrupted. Sure. So first of all, I will repeat, and the American people know, that Joe Biden will not ban fracking. That is a fact. That is a fact. I will repeat that Joe Biden has been very clear that he thinks about growing jobs, which is why he will not increase taxes for anyone who makes less than $400,000 a year. Joe Biden's economic plan, Moody's, which is a reputable Wall Street firm, has said will create 7 million more jobs than Donald Trump's. And part of those jobs that will be created by Joe Biden are going to be about clean energy and renewable energy. Because you see, Joe understands that the west coast of our country is burning, including my home state of California. Joe sees what is happening on the Gulf states, which are being battered by storms. Joe has seen and talked with the farmers in Iowa whose entire crops have been destroyed because of floods. And so Joe believes, again, in science. I'll tell you something, Susan. I served, when I first got to the Senate, on the committee that's responsible for the environment. Do you know this administration took the word science off the website and then took the phrase climate change off the website? This, we have seen a pattern with this administration, which is they don't believe in science. And Joe's plan is about saying, we're going to deal with it, but we're also going to create jobs. Donald Trump, when asked about the wildfires in California, and, and the question was, you know, the science is telling us this. You know what Donald Trump said? Science doesn't know. So let's talk about who is prepared to lead our country over the course of the next four years on what is an existential threat to us as human beings. Joe is about saying we're going to invest that in renewable energy. It's going to be about the creation of millions of jobs. We will achieve net um, zero emissions by 2050, carbon neutral by 2035. Joe has a plan. This has been a lot of talk from the Trump administration, and really it has been to go backward instead of forward. We will also reenter the climate agreement with pride. Senator Harris just said that climate change is an existential threat. Vice President Pence, do you believe that climate change poses an existential threat? As I said, Susan, the climate is changing. We'll follow the science. But uh, once again, uh, Senator Harris uh, is denying the fact that they're going to raise taxes on every American. Joe Biden said twice in the debate last week that on day one he was going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. Those tax cuts delivered $2,000 in tax relief to the average family of four across America. And with regard to banning fracking, I just recommend that people look at the record. You yourself said repeatedly that you would ban fracking. You were the first Senate co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. And while Joe Biden denied the Green New Deal, Susan, thank you for pointing out the Green New Deal is on their campaign website. And as USA Today said, it's essentially the same plan as you co-sponsored with AOC when she submitted it in the Senate. And you just heard the senator say that she's going to resubmit America to the Paris Climate Accord. Look, the, the American people have always cherished our environment. We'll continue to cherish it. We've made great progress reducing CO2 emissions through American innovation and the development of natural gas through fracking we don't need a massive $2 trillion Green New Deal that would impose all new mandates on American businesses 
and American families. Thank you. Joe Biden wants us Thank to you, retrofit four million Thank American you, business yes. buildings. It makes no sense. It will cost jobs. President Trump Thank is going to put President America Trump. first. He's going to put jobs first, and we're going to take care of our environment and follow the science. Thank, Thank you, but, uh, you know, On the issue of jobs, Senator Harris. let's talk about that. You, the, the vice president earlier referred to, as part of what he thinks is an accomplishment, um, the, the president's trade war with China. You lost that trade war. You lost it. What ended up happening? is because of a so-called trade war with China, America lost 300,000 manufacturing jobs. Farmers have experienced bankruptcy because of it. We are in a manufacturing recession because of it. And when we look at where this administration has been, there are estimates that by the end of the term of this administration, they will have lost more jobs than almost any other presidential administration. And the American people know what I'm talking about. You know. I, I, I think about 20-year-olds. You know, we have a 20-year-old, a 20-something-year-old, who are coming out of high school and college right now, and you're wondering, is there going to be a job there for me? We're looking at people who are trying to figure out how they're going to pay rent by the end of the month. Almost half of American renters are worried about whether they're going to be able to pay rent by the end of the month. This is where the economy is in America right now, and it is because of the catastrophe and the failure of leadership of this administration. Thank you, Senator Harris. Vice President Pence, let me give you just 15 seconds to respond, because then I want to move on to Well, I, I'd love to respond. Look, um, lost the trade war with China. Joe Biden never fought it. Joe Biden has been a cheerleader for communist China through over the last several decades. And, and again... Senator Harris, you're entitled to your opinion. You're not entitled to your own facts. When Joe Biden was vice president, we lost 200,000 manufacturing jobs. And President Obama said they were never coming back. He said we needed a magic wand to bring them back. In our first three years after we cut taxes, you, rolled back president regulation, Pence. unleashed American energy, this administration saw 500,000 manufacturing you, jobs Pence. created. And that's exactly the kind of growth we're going to continue to see as we bring our nation through Thank you, this president pandemic. Pence. But a Green New Thank Deal, you, your Vice massive president new Pence. mandate, your Paris Climate Accord, it's going to kill jobs this time, just like it killed jobs. I, 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 I just need to respond very briefly. Uh, 15 please. seconds and Thank then you. we'll move Thank on. you. Joe Biden is responsible for saving America's auto industry, and you voted against it. So let's set the record straight. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you aren't arguing poorly. You aren't losing focus and not being able to stay on a, an unhealth, uncomfortable topic, you're helping us by, you know, just randomly jumping around from topic to topic. Yeah, it reminded me of that moment in the other debate where Chris Wallace was like, you're going to like this one, Mr. President. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> Why do you have to tell him that? <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, not great. Not great. So Mike Pence says something about forest management to prevent forest fires. Um, Can't believe they're blaming trees for this, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, then he then he wildly overtalks the moderator on hurricanes, the Green New Deal, etc. Like just blathering on about stuff long after she is mm -hmm. trying to end his talking time. Yeah. Um, Kamala responds: Joe Biden will not ban fracking. 
will be at net zero emissions by 2050, carbon neutral by 2035, which I remember from the primary debates that, you know, Bernie Sanders basically said this is unacceptable. The planet is not going to we can't endure until 2035 at this rate, let alone 2050. Um, so, you know, I'm sure, you know, Kamala and Joe Biden want uh, they want credit for this because it's better than Trump and Pence. Mm-hmm. But it's worth remembering that. There are, are people who would say that this is unacceptable. It's un, unsustainable to these points. So we'll see what mm-hmm. happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, Mike Pence talked about uh, fracking and natural gas and stuff. He says American innovation, fracking, natural gas have reduced CO2 emissions. I don't know how that works. Mm. Like I think the point is that natural gas and the continued use of it have not reduced CO2 emissions, so I don't even, logically, I don't even know how that's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, Joe Biden's been a cheerleader for communist China for the past several decades. Uh, again, he said, you're entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Um, again, he wildly overtalks the moderator again. If you're going to say that in a debate, you should have to explain exactly what you mean by it, because logically... You know, even to politically engaged people, that just doesn't make sense. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Um, I think at one point he talked about American emissions are lower than European emissions, even though the Europeans are still in the Paris Climate Accords and stuff. And like, okay, is that number one? Is that even true? If it's true, what does it mean? Like, is it proportional? Is it you know taking everything to account? You know, like, what does that mean? Like, why can't you mm-hmm. explain that in more detail? It's a talking point. What does it mean? That's what I want to know. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think the fourth topic was China. I'd like to talk about China. We have, as our next topic, we have no more complicated or consequential foreign relationship than the one with China. It is a huge market for American agricultural goods. It's a potential partner in dealing with climate change in North Korea. And in a video tonight, President Trump again blamed it for the coronavirus, saying China will pay. Vice President Pence, how would you describe our our fundamental relationship with China? Competitors, adversaries, enemies? You have two minutes. Thank you, Susan. Well, let me before I leave that, let me let me speak to voting records if I can. You know, everybody knows that NAFTA cost literally thousands of American factories to close. We saw automotive jobs go south of the border. President Trump fought to renegotiate NAFTA. And the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement is now the law of the land. American people deserve to know Senator Kamala Harris was one of only 10 members of the Senate to vote against the USMCA. It was a huge win for American auto workers. It was a huge win for American farmers, especially dairy in the upper Midwest. But, Senator, you, you said it didn't go far enough on climate change, mm-hmm. that, that you put your, your radical environmental agenda ahead of American auto workers and ahead of American jobs. The American people deserve to know that. It's probably why Newsweek magazine said that, that Kamala Harris was the most liberal member of the United States Senate in 2019, more liberal than Bernie Sanders, uh, more, more liberal than any of the others in the United States Senate. So now with regard to China, look, Susan, first and foremost, China is to blame for the coronavirus. 
And President Trump is not happy about it. He's made that very clear, made it clear again today. China and the World Health Organization did not play straight with the American people. They did not let our personnel into China to get information on the coronavirus until the middle of February. Fortunately, President Trump, in dealing with China from the outset of this administration, standing up to China that had been taking advantage of America for decades in the wake of Joe Biden's cheerleading for China, President Trump made that decision before the end of January to suspend all travel from China. And again, the American people deserve to know Joe Biden opposed President Trump's decision to suspend all travel from China. He said it was hysterical. He said it Thank was you, xenophobic. Vice President Pence. But President Trump Vice has President stood Pence, up to China. Up. We're going to continue to stand strong. Thank you, Vice President Pence. We want to improve the relationship, but we're going to level the playing field, and we're going to hold Vice China accountable for what they did to America with the coronavirus. Thank you. Senator Harris, let me ask you the same question that I asked the Vice President. How would you describe our fundamental relationship with China? Are we competitors, adversaries, enemies? You'll have two minutes uninterrupted. Susan, the Trump administration's perspective and approach to China has resulted in the loss of American lives, American jobs, and America's standing. There's a weird obsession that President Trump has had with getting rid of whatever accomplishment was achieved by President Obama and Vice President Biden. For example, they created within the White House an office that basically was responsible for monitoring pandemics. They got away, they, they got rid of it. Not true. There was a team of disease experts that President Obama and Vice President Biden dispatched to China to monitor what is now predictable and what might happen. They pulled them out. We now are looking at 210,000 Americans who have lost their lives. Let's look at the job situation. We mentioned before the trade deal, the trade war, they wanted to call it, with China. It resulted in the loss of over 300 manufacturing jobs and a manufacturing recession, and the American consumer paying thousands of dollars more for goods because of that failed war that they called it. Then let's talk about standing. Pew, a reputable research firm, has done an analysis that shows that leaders of all of our formerly allied countries have now decided that they hold in greater esteem and respect Xi Jinping, the head of the Chinese Communist Party, than they do Donald Trump, the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief of the United States. This is where we are today because of a failure of leadership by this administration. Senator Harris, we've seen changes in the, in the role of the United States in terms of global leadership over the past four years. And of course, times do change. What's your definition? We've seen strains with China, of course, as the Vice President mentioned. We've seen strains with our traditional allies yeah. in NATO and elsewhere. What is your definition of the role of American leadership in 2020? So, you know, Joe is, I, I love talking with Joe about a lot of these issues. And, you know, Joe, he, I think he said it quite well. He says, you know, foreign policy, it might sound complicated, but really it's relationships. So just think about it as relationships. 
and so we know this in our personal and professional relationships. Um, you gotta keep your word to your friends. You gotta be loyal to your friends. People who've stood with you, you gotta stand with them. You gotta know who your adversaries are and keep them in check. But what we have seen with Donald Trump is that he has betrayed our friends and, 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 and embraced dictators around the world. Let's take, for example, Russia. So, Russia, I serve on the Intelligence Committee of the United States Senate. America's intelligence community told us Russia interfered in the election of the President of the United States in 2016 and is playing in 2020. Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, said the same. But Donald Trump, the commander-in-chief of the United States of America, prefers to take the word of Vladimir Putin over the word of the American intelligence community. You look at our friends at NATO. He's walked away from agreements. You can talk, look at the Iran nuclear deal, which now has put us in a position where we are less safe because they are building up what might end up being a significant nuclear arsenal. We were in that deal, guys. We were in the Iran nuclear deal with friends, with allies around the country. And because of Donald Trump's unilateral approach to foreign policy, coupled with his isolationism, he pulled us out and has made America less safe. So, Susan, it's about relationships. And the thing that has always been part of the strength of our nation, in addition to our great military, has been that we keep our word. But Donald Trump doesn't understand that because he doesn't understand what it means to be honest. Thank you. Susan. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Senator Harris. Vice President Pence, let me give you a chance to respond. Well, thank you. Um, well, President Trump kept his word when we moved the American embassy to Jerusalem, the capital of the state of Israel. When Joe Biden was vice president, they promised to do that, and they never did. We stood strong with our allies, but we've been demanding. NATO is now contributing more to our common defense than ever before, thanks to President Trump's leadership. We've strengthened our alliances across the Asia-Pacific, and we've stood strong uh, against those who would do us harm. You know, when President Trump came into office, uh, ISIS had captured an area of the Middle East the size of Pennsylvania. But President Trump unleashed the American military, and our armed forces destroyed the ISIS caliphate and took down their leader, al-Baghdadi, without one American casualty. Al-Baghdadi was uh, responsible for the death of thousands. Um, but notably, America's hearts today are with the family of Kayla Mueller, her parents of which are here with us tonight in Salt Lake City. Today, two of the ISIS killers responsible for Kayla Mueller's murder were brought to justice in the United States. Jihadi John was killed on the battlefield along with the other beetle. The reality is that when Joe Biden was vice president, we had an opportunity to save Kayla Miller. Breaks my heart to reflect on it, but the military came into the Oval Office, presented a plan. They said they knew where Kayla was. Baghdadi had held her for 18 months, abused her mercilessly before they killed her. But when Joe Biden was vice president, they hesitated for a month. And when armed forces finally went in, it was clear she'd been moved two days earlier. And her family says with a heart that broke the heart of every American that if President Donald Trump had been president, they believe Kayla would be alive today. Thank you, Vice Look, President. Look, we destroyed the ISIS caliphate. 
Uh, and you talk about re-entering the Iran nuclear deal. I mean, the last administration transferred $1.8 billion to the leading state sponsor Thank you, Vice of President terrorism. Pence. President Donald Trump got us out of the deal. Thank you, Vice President Pence. And, and when Qasem Soleimani was traveling to Baghdad Thank you, to do Vice harm President to Pence. Americans, President Donald Trump took Thank you, Vice out. President Pence. And America is, is safer. Our allies are safer. And the American people know President Donald Trump will never have Thank you, Vice President take Pence. action. I would like to give Senator Harris a, a chance to respond, but not at such great length, because, of course, there are other topics we want to talk about. But I would like equal time. Yes. Thank Please you. Please go ahead. Uh, first of all, to the Mueller family, I, I, I know about your daughter's case, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, what happened to her is awful, and it should have never happened. And I know Joe feels the same way. And I know that President Obama feels the same way. Um, but you mentioned Soleimani. Let's, let's start there. So after the strike on Soleimani, there was a counter strike on our troops in Iraq. And they suffered serious brain injuries. And do you know what Donald Trump dismissed them as? Headaches. And this is about a pattern of Donald Trump's where he has referred to our men who are serving in our military as suckers and losers, Donald Trump, who went to Arlington Cemetery and stood above the graves of our fallen heroes and said, what's in it for them? Because of course, you know, he only thinks about what's in it for him. Let's take what he said about John McCain a great American hero. And, and, and Donald Trump says he doesn't deserve to be called a hero because he was a prisoner of war. Take, and this is, this is very important, when you want to talk about who is the current commander-in-chief and what they care about and what they don't care about. Public reporting that Russia had bounties on the heads of American soldiers. And you know what a bounty is? It's Somebody puts a price on your head, and they will pay it if you are killed. And Donald Trump had talked at least six times to Vladimir Putin and never brought up the subject. Joe Biden would never do that. Thank Joe you. Biden would, but, but Joe Biden yeah. would hold Russia to account for any threat to our nation's security or to our troops who are sacrificing their lives for the sake of our democracy and our safety. Thank you, S Senator Harris. This is such an important issue, but we have other important issues as well. And Susan, I want to I I make sure we have a chance I, I really to have talk to about... I really have to respond to that. I, I, Look, uh, she has... 15 she, seconds, because we're trying to keep... Well, I've got to have more than keep, that. Look, well, you, I'm sorry, but Vice President, Look, but you've I, had more time than look, she's the, had the, so the far. The slanders against President Donald Trump regarding men and women of our armed forces are absurd. I'm, I'm sorry, Vice My President My son is Pence. a captain in the United yes. States Marine Corps. My son-in-law is deployed in the United States Navy. I can assure all of you, with sons and daughters serving in our military, President Donald Trump not only respects but reveres all of those who serve in our armed forces. And any suggestion otherwise is ridiculous. But Let thank me you, also Vice say, President Pence. Vice President Pence, Susan, the American Pence, people deserve to know. Vice President Pence, I did not. Excuse me, Susan. I did not create the rules for tonight. Joe Biden. You, your campaigns Trump, agreed to the rules for tonight's I, debate with I, the Commission on Presidential Debates. I'm here to enforce them. 
which involves moving from one topic to another, giving roughly equal time to both of you, right which ahead. is what I'm trying very hard to go do. Go right ahead. So I want to go ahead and move to the next topic, which is an important one, as the last topic was, and that is the Supreme Court. And the question was something about how would you describe U.S.-China relations? Are they like adversaries, enemies, competitors, or something like this? And again, Mike Pence wants to go back to the last question. Well, before I leave that, let, let me speak to voting mm -hmm. records if I can. Uh, Senator Harris voted against the USMCA, one of only 10 senators who did. Uh, he said, you put your radical environmental agenda ahead of American auto workers. Time magazine called Kamala Harris the most liberal senator in 2019, even ahead of Bernie Sanders. Or something. Yeah, funny that he's like citing the media and he's going to bash the media in like a minute here when they yeah. get to talking about uh, very fine people on both sides or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, how does that expression go? Uh, hypocrisy is the compliment that lies tell, uh, tell to the truth or something. Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard that one before. That's good, though. Yeah, I mean... That, uh, you know, you, you, you trash the media as all the time, but the second that says something you agree with, you're not trashing them anymore, you're citing them, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that you cite the media when they agree with you and then you trash them when they don't means that actually you do, you do seek the media's uh, approval. It's just mm -hmm. that when they don't give it to you, you don't want to give them any, uh, any respect. But like right. the second that they're back to saying, you know, it, it's kind of like how Christians are always like trying to reconcile science and stuff with Christianity. The second science says something that was true in the Bible or something, they're like, oh, see, 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 science said it's true. Look at the look at the look at here. But like, you know, when it's like evolution or something, they're like, no, that's bullshit. You know, the Bible says yeah. this and that's what I believe. And yeah, science can, you know, you know, go whatever. <laughs> I'll, pr I'll pray I, for you <laughs> yeah actually what, what is that quote i'm trying to remember that quote exactly hypocrisy or hold that on sounds, a second. right that sounds like a complete quote what you said i feel yeah i, I hate it when I'm, I'm like as a teacher and stuff too sometimes i have to remember quotes and idioms and expressions and stuff and like you know with a fixed expression if you mess up one word you've kind of ruined the expression so i always try to get the expressions exactly right mm -hmm. so uh, I looked up that other quote, but it was actually James R. Schlesinger, who was Secretary of Defense under Nixon and Ford, who made that uh, your titled your own facts thing um, originally. Anyway, okay. uh, I will look up uh, that other quote <laughs> while you keep talking. Yeah, I want to say it's it starts hypocrisy is the compliment that yeah that lies pay to the truth or something yeah. it's something like that. Sorry, sorry, Bob. You're my, you're, you're the fact checker in my ear here. Of this, debate, yeah. as it were. <laughs> I can hardly type fast enough. Hypocrisy well, is Bob's... the compliment. No, no, no. Here we go. Hypocrisy is the compliment. Vice pays to virtue. There you go. There you go. Vice pays to virtue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. So basically, the idea is, um, Francois know. de la Ruchenfeld. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a it's a great it's a great quote, and it's something you you really have to think about to fully understand it. But basically, like, you know, if you if you rob a bank or something, mm -hmm. and then somebody asks you, "Did you rob the bank?" You say, "No, I didn't rob the bank." The fact that you feel the need to lie about it is what tells you that it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's like right. when uh, Trump supporters hated the Mueller report till it came out, and it didn't say explicitly that he had obstructed justice, and they're like, "Well, this totally exonerates him. Thank you." And it's like, okay, I thought this was fake, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's you know, it's very it's 
again, you know, Donald Trump is like a two-year-old or something. He just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> things are bad if they're nice to him. They're good if he likes them. But and, yeah, and, and and it'll be two different things on the same day. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not consistent. There's no one way, one thing. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um. Kamala responded, Harris responded, there's a weird obsession Trump has with getting rid of every accomplishment of President Obama and Vice President Biden. They got rid of the pandemic task force. And Mike Pence said, this is one of his common responses, not true, not true. He's not like true. shaking his head, not true. I know. Like, what do you mean it's not true? You, you can sit there and you can say that and people watching at home who don't know can see, oh, you responded and said it's not true. That's I guess you how he gets away with this stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's like, no, it's true. Barack Obama had a had a they had people in China. They had people on the ground in China. Trump mm-hmm. pulled them out. Mm-hmm. You know, this is uh, he he gutted the pandemic uh, monitoring and response things that were in place under Obama. And yet he complains, mm-hmm. oh, the military was like totally out of ammo when I came in. We had to restock. <laughs> the guy's so stupid. It's absolutely unbelievable how stupid they all are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, th- this is a verifiable thing. This is it's been documented. The people have been talked to. I think there's even a quote from Trump at the time that when he was letting those people go, somebody said, do you think it's a good idea to get rid of the this task force? And he's like, you know, we, we'll just hire them back if we need them. And, you know, they, they'll still be out there. We can still hire them if we need them. If there's a pandemic or something. It's like, that's not the point. Okay. No. <laughs> um, and, you know. Frankly, there should be a million trials of this guy when he's out of here, and I think one of them should be, you know, criminal incompetence leading to mass death in America regarding the, the mm-hmm. pandemic. And this is exhibit number one. What did yep. you do with the Obama, you know, pandemic response force? Mm-hmm. Why did you do it? What was the consequence of you doing what you did? Yep. All things that could be measured. Yeah. I mean, we already know he just wants to undo everything Obama did, whether or not it was good or not. It's just the fact that he did it wants to get rid of it. So, yeah. Well, Harris describing that as a weird obsession is a very polite way of hinting at the racist undertones of it, I think. Um, yeah. Very sanitized way. Mm hmm. Um, let's see. So, again, Mike Pence, like sometimes she'll say something that Pitt did and say under his breath like not true. not true and you've got to you've got to admire i mean you've got to consider like from his perspective like i'm sure donald trump's instructions to him were like don't let any attack go unanswered i don't want you ever not to say something you know mm-hmm. so even though like there's no defense of it he's got to he's got to throw something out there just like say just object 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 even mm-hmm. if there's no there's no follow-up mm-hmm. there's no argument to be made there just yep. say no on the record um uh Kamala Harris said the trade war with China has resulted in a loss of 300,000 manufacturing jobs and a, um, a, manu- a manufacturing recession. Um, America's leadership and global standing are based on relationships. Know who your friends are and keep your promises. Know who your enemies are and keep them in check. She, then she talked about Iran, Russia, you know, North Korea, etc. Uh, she talked about Donald Trump not trusting the United States intelligence agencies when they talked about Russia instead of trusting Putin instead. Um, 
Mike Pence said, oh, America has kept its prom- its word, kept its promises. When we moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, the capital of the state of Israel, uh, Obama let ISIS take over. Trump destroyed their caliphate. Obama and Biden uh, didn't act on military intel that Kayla Miller was being held by Baghdadi in a certain place for over a month. She was moved and killed after horrific abuse for 18 months. And then he continues and he talks about her parents were in the audience or something. Um, and he over talks again on his time. Um, Harris talked about the Qasem Soleimani strike, uh, the counter strike that Iran did on an American position. Um, and how Trump said that U.S. soldiers got only headaches when they had traumatic brain injuries. And she talked about how that was a pattern uh, where he talked about men in the military are suckers and losers. What's in it for them? Um, Russia had bounties on the heads of U.S. soldiers. Trump spoke with with Putin six times after that without mentioning it. Um, at this point, Kamala goes over her time a little bit. Um See, I think I think that the, the moderator said this is such an important issue, but we have other issues as well. And Mike Pence said, Susan, I really have to respond to that. Mm. Uh, and I think Susan said, look, she has 15 seconds because and she said, well, I got to have more than that. Look, and she says, I'm sorry. Vice, or he said, oh, Mike Pence said, well, I got to have more than that. Look, she said, I'm sorry, Vice President, but you've had more time than she's had so far. Mm hmm. Again, it's it's one of these confusing situations where they're all over talking each other and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, at that point, Pence continues trying to over talk and kind of bulldozes some more through the conversation. Uh, and we come to topic number five, which is the Supreme Court. On Monday, the Senate Judiciary Committee is scheduled to open hearings on Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. Senator Harris, you'll be there as a member of the committee. Yeah. Her confirmation would cement the court's conservative majority and make it likely open to more abortion restrictions, even to overturning the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling. Access to abortion would then be up to the states. Vice President Pence, you're the former governor of Indiana. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, what would you want Indiana to do? Would you want your home state to ban all abortions? You have two minutes uninterrupted. Well, thank you for the question, but I'll use a little bit of my time to respond to that very important issue before. The American people deserve to know Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian general, was responsible for the death of hundreds of American service members. When the opportunity came, we saw him headed to Baghdad to kill more Americans. President Trump didn't hesitate, and Qasem Soleimani is gone. But you deserve to know that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris actually criticized the decision to take out Salam, uh, Qasem Soleimani. It's really inexplicable, but with regard to Joe Biden, it's, it's explainable. Because history records that Joe Biden actually opposed the raid against Osama bin Laden. It's absolutely essential that we have a commander-in-chief who will not hesitate to act to protect American lives and to protect American service members, and that's what you have in President Donald Trump. Now, with regard to the Supreme Court of the United States, let me say President Trump and I could not be more enthusiastic about the opportunity to see Judge Amy Coney Barrett become Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Now, she's a brilliant woman. 
and uh, she will bring a lifetime of experience and a sizable American family to the Supreme Court of the United States. And our hope is in the hearing next week, unlike Justice Kavanaugh received with treatment from you and others, we hope she gets a fair hearing. And we particularly hope that we don't see the kind of attacks on her Christian faith that we saw before. I mean, the Democrat chairman of the Judiciary Committee before, when, when Judge Barrett was being confirmed for the Court of Appeals, expressed concern that the dogma of her faith lived loudly in her. Dick Durbin of Illinois said that it was a concern. Uh, Senator, I know one of our judicial nominees, you actually attacked because they were a member of the Catholic Knights of Columbus, just because the Knights of Columbus holds pro-life views and thank you, views. Thank you, Vice President Pence. So Your my time hope is, is up. that when the hearing takes place, that, thank you, Vice that, President Pence. that Judge Amy Coney Barrett will be respected, thank treated you, Vice respectfully, President Pence. voted and confirmed thank to the you. Supreme Court of the United States. Senator Harris, you're the senator from and former Attorney General of California. So let me ask you a parallel question to the one I posed to the Vice President. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, what would you want California to do? Would you want your home state to enact no restrictions on access to abortion. And you have two minutes uninterrupted. Thank you, Susan. First of all, Joe Biden and I are both people of faith. And it's insulting su to suggest that we would knock anyone for their faith. And in fact, Joe, if elected, will be only the second uh, practicing Catholic uh, as president of the United States. Um, on the issue of this, of this nomination, Joe and I are very clear, as are the majority of the American people. We are 27 days before the decision about who will be the next president of the United States. And, you know, before when this conversation has come up, you know, it's been about election year or election time. We're literally in an election. Over 4 million people have voted. People are in the process of voting right now. And so Joe has been very clear, as the American people are, let the American people fill that seat in the White House, and then we'll fill that seat on the United States Supreme Court. And to your point, Susan, the, the issues before us couldn't be more serious. There's the issue of choice, and I will always fight for a woman's right to make a decision about her own body. It should be her decision and not that of Donald Trump and, and the vice president, Michael Pence. But let's also look at what else is before the, the, the court. It's the Affordable Care Act. Like, literally in the midst of a public health pandemic, when over 210,000 people have died and 7 million people probably have what will be in the future considered a pre-existing condition because you, you, you contracted the virus. Donald Trump is in court right now trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. And I said it before, and it bears repeating. This means that there will be no more protections if they win for people with pre-existing conditions. Yeah. This means that over 20 million people will lose your coverage. It means that if you're under the age of 26, you can't stay on your parents' coverage anymore. And here's the thing. The contrast couldn't be more clear. They're trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. Thank Joe you. Biden is saying, let's expand coverage. Let's give you a choice of a public Thank option you, or private coverage. Let's bring down premiums. Thank you, Senator Let's Harris. lower Medicare eligibility to 60. Thank you, Senator That's true Harris. leadership. You know, you mentioned uh, earlier, Vice President Pence, that the president was committed to maintaining protections for people with pre-existing conditions. Um, 
And but you do have this court case that you are supporting, your administration supporting, that would strike down the Affordable Care Act. The, the president says, President Trump says that he's going to protect people with pre-existing conditions, but he has not explained how he would do that. And that was one of the toughest nuts to crack when they were passing the Affordable Care Act. So tell us specifically, how would your administration protect Americans with pre-existing conditions to have access to affordable insurance if the Affordable Care Act is struck down? Well, uh, thank you, Susan. But let me just say, addressing your very first question, I, I couldn't be more proud to serve as vice president to a president who stands without apology for the sanctity of human life. I'm pro-life. I, I don't apologize for it. And this is another one of those cases where there's such a dramatic contrast. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris support taxpayer funding of abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. Late-term abortion. They want to increase funding to Planned Parenthood of America. Now, for our part, I, I would never presume how Judge Amy Coney Barrett would rule on the Supreme Court of the United States, but um, we'll continue to stand strong for the right to life. When you speak about the Supreme Court, though, I think the American people really deserve an answer, Senator Harris. Are you and Joe Biden going to pack the court if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? I mean, there have been 29 vacancies on the Supreme Court during presidential election years from George Washington to Barack Obama. Presidents have nominated in all 29 cases. But your party is actually openly advocating adding seats to the Supreme Court, which has had nine seats for 150 years, if you don't get your way. This is a classic case of if you can't win by the rules, you're going to change the rules. Now, you've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States, are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864... Well, I'd like you to answer the question. No, Mr. Yes. Vice President, I'm Please. speaking. Yeah, I'm that. speaking. Okay. In 1864, one of the, I think, political heroes, certainly of the president, I, I assume of you also, Mr. Vice President, is Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln was up for re-election. And it was 27 days before the election. And a seat became open on the United States Supreme Court. Abraham Lincoln's party was in charge not only of the White House, but the Senate. But Honest Abe said, it's not the right thing to do. The American people deserve to make the decision about who will be the next president of the United States. And then that person can select who will serve for a lifetime on the highest court of our land. And so Joe and I are very clear. The American people are voting right now. And it should be their decision about who will serve on this most important body for a lifetime. Thank you, and, and Senator the Harris. People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to pack the Supreme Court if you don't get your way in this nomination. Let's talk about packing. You once Come again on. gave a non-answer. Joe Biden gave a non-answer. <laughs> trying to answer you the now. American people deserve a straight <laughs> answer. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, the straight answer is they are going to pack the Supreme Court if they somehow win this election. The, Men Mr. and women, Vice I, I, I got to tell you, people across this country, if you cherish our Supreme Court, if you cherish the separation of powers, you need to reject the Biden-Harris ticket, 
come November the 3rd, re-elect President Donald Trump, and we'll stand by that separation of powers in a nine-seat Supreme Court. Yeah, Thank let's you. talk about packing the court, then. Let's talk about the Please. fact... Yeah, I'm, I'm about to. So, the Trump-Pence administration has been... Because I sit on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Susan, as you mentioned, and I've witnessed the appointments for lifetime appointments to the federal courts, district courts, courts of appeal. People who are purely ideological, people who have been reviewed by, by legal professional organizations and found to have been not competent are substandard. And do you know that of the 50 people who President Trump appointed to the Court of Appeals for lifetime appointments, not one is black? This is what they've been doing. You want to talk about packing a court? Let's have that discussion. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Senator. Let's go on and talk about the issue of racial justice. I, I just want the record to reflect she never answered the question. So I, the American, thank, maybe thank in the next debate, Joe Biden will answer the question. Thank, but I think the you. American people know the answer. Thank you, Vice President. Um, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, what would you want your home state of Indiana to ban all abortions? And once again, Mike Pence jumps back to the previous question because he doesn't want to talk about abortion in, in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was quite a, a pivot he made there. I, I would like to know the answer to that question myself, being a yeah. resident of the state of Indiana. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we know people. I mean, like, sure. my God, you know. All right. He says, well, thank you for that question. But I'll, I'll, I'll use a little bit of my time to respond to that very important question before. So again, he, he's he's backing it. He's backlogging himself on every single question. So he never finishes the question he's being asked because he always wants to go back to the previous. I mean, as a strategy, maybe it's brilliant, but it's incredibly stupid, incredibly annoying, and incredibly uh, transparent way of avoiding what he's supposed to be answering. He says, um, history records that Joe Biden opposed the raid against Osama bin Laden. With, with regards to Judge Amy Coney Barrett, we particularly hope we don't see the kind of attacks on her Christian faith that we saw before. Uh, the Democratic chairman of the Judiciary Committee expressed concern that the dogma of her faith lived loudly in her. At this point, he was, you know, intentionally making fun of the quote from, I think, Diane Feinstein from California during a, a previous confirmation mm -hmm. of Amy Coney Barrett to a lower court. Why is it that um, so many of us on this side have this very uncomfortable feeling that, you know, dogma and law are two different things? And I think whatever a religion is, it has its own dogma. The law is totally different. And I think in, in your case, uh, Professor, when you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern when you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for for years in this country. And I don't know. I think I saw something on Twitter earlier today that Diane Feinstein was giving Lindsey Graham a hug. I saw that. I could not believe it. It's not we, like, yeah. Ugh. Really? I mean, Ugh. what is it with these, these, I mean, 
First of all, I, he's probably I, I'm not one to buy into the Republican <laughs> talking point of the, the coastal elites out of touch uh-huh. shit. But honestly, with people like Diane Feinstein, I mean, can we not do this? Yeah. These people are your freaking enemies. Can we act like that? Mm-hmm. They're corrupt. They're incompetent. They're criminals. And, you know. Can we not give them talking points in a confirmation hearing where you talk about something like the dogma of her faith live loudly in her? That is a weird thing to say. Like, I know she's referencing something that would comes from some organization she's a member of or whatever, but it's like, it looks like you attack, you're attacking her for her religion. It sounds bizarre. Yeah. And it gives Mike Pence a talking point in this point. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to I have no other people pointed this out, but I'm trying to think of the time when a Muslim person would be uh, awarded by lauded by the right for their uh, strong faith values. And I'm also wondering when that would ever the, the, the when they would ever be paid the compliment of having seven seven children and a robust American family or whatever Mike Pence said, if it was like a black woman, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like uh, I'm just trying to switch the scenarios here and try to imagine that ever passing through their lips. And it's just a possible you know so it's it's totally ridiculous and also yeah, like, i mean going back to what you're saying talking, with the, yeah go on i mean people are talking about obama with the muslim brotherhood or something yeah because even, even though he's a christian his like middle name is hussein and so yeah. you know i mean it, it again you just i mean i'm not saying that we would be good debate moderators but like mm-hmm to 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 let these things go unanswered when this is the level of hypocrisy and you know and and the fact that both sides you know i mean to some degree religion is important on the supreme court like something like what is it 6 or 7 out of 9 of the supreme court justices are catholics that's weird in a country that is not majority catholic like i'm sorry yeah right? very I mean, strange i mean you know, it's another question. That's it's a further question whether or not their their faith influences their stuff, and that's a whole other thing with the separation of church and state. But it's very clearly like that the Federalist Society is trying to get Catholics uh, to some degree on the on the thing, or at least far right wing people, because they know that their their religion is going to prevent them from really wavering on Roe versus Wade, those kinds of issues, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. this is a they're they're using the religion. They're using, you know, indoctrination membership into uh, the Federalist Society or whatever, this kind of this think tank that, you know, pops out, pumps out conservative justices and stuff like, I mean, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like, I mean, there's a lot of ways to be a Muslim <laughs> and they don't all involve instituting Sharia law in America. And yet you'd never know that to hear it from Republicans when you talk about like, you know. The squad, you know, you talk about people on the squad, you talk about Obama, who's not even a Muslim. I mean, like, so, they, I mean, they, you know, like they, they dealt the race card from the bottom of the deck. They've been dealing the, the religion card from the bottom of the deck. So it's rich to hear them pretending to care about religious discrimination when it comes to Catholics, especially when the Democratic candidate, Joe Biden, is a practicing Catholic, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't ever talk about that. Yeah. And the, and the current pope doesn't even think that whatever uh, Trump is a Christian or whatever whatever he said. You know what I mean? So it's like if we're talking about the current leadership of the Catholic Church, which you know there's a whole faction that doesn't believe he's the legitimate pope. Uh, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, they they still want to be Catholics, but they don't want to they don't want to follow this pope. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, all right. So let's see. So again, so I don't know what the response to that was. There was some response to it, but again, he's, he's gone way off topic here and he's brought up two or three topics from the previous topic and he's made some very bad faith arguments and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, let's see. There's a question at that point. There's a question about pre-existing conditions, and Tr Pence ignores the question about how Trump has never figured out a way to protect pre-existing conditions, even though he's been promising since like 2015 that he would. And now he goes back to abortion again. He says, uh, because again, this was the previous question. She asked him, "What about abortion in Indiana if Roe versus Wade is overturned?" Mm -hmm. And he goes, now, I would never presume how Judge Amy Coney Barrett would rule on the Supreme Court, but we'll continue to stand strong for the right to life. OK. Uh, this is this is a lie. I mean, the entire reason you guys are pushing Amy Coney Barrett is because you do presume how to know how Amy, how she will rule on uh, on the Supreme Court. That's the entire reason that you are. Uh, ignoring uh, coronavirus money going out to people to push her right now because this is your last chance to get her on the court to to do rulings on this stuff to you know quote unquote stand strong for the right to life. Um, at this point, Mike Pence conspicuously assumes an aggressive tone and posture, and he turns mm -hmm. to Kamala and he says, "When you speak about the Supreme Court, though, I think the American people really." deserve an answer senator oh harris gosh. and he bites his lip are you and joe biden going to pack the court if judge amy coney barrett is confirmed and he looks down in a way like he's uncomfortable to confront her this directly and he said which has had nine seats for 150 years and i'm thinking lol come on what about 2015 yeah when come it on, had an entire year there where it was down to eight <laughs> seats and you republicans <laughs> kept it that way fuck off yeah <laughs> he said, are you and Joe Biden, if you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? He, he remembers that he's asked them if they're going to do this. And the only way they're going to do this if, is if they beat his boss in a month. And so he's like, he has to throw that in there. If you win, are you going to pack the court? Are you going to pack the court if you win in 20? If you win, are you going to pack the court if we? Yeah, it's like if we, so you can get your way. Uh, you know, Kamala Harris gives a history lesson about Abraham Lincoln declined a seat. Uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice 27 days before his election in a situation that was very similar to this one. Um, and Mike Pence goes, and he's answering for her now. He says, the answer is that they will pack the court if they, if they win, he kind of adds. What do you think about this controversy or made-up controversy? Which one? The fact that they won't give a straight answer about expanding the Supreme Court. Um, what I wanted Kamala to hear say here kind of was fuck around and find out, which mm -hmm. is what would Bernie Bro voters said when they were asked, you know, are you guys going to fall in line behind Joe Biden? Fuck around and mm -hmm. find out. Yeah. Keep playing these games. Keep trying to get our guy out in illegitimate ways and you'll find out. Yep. Um, but she's not going to say that. Right. <laughs> no, probably really because not. then that's, that's the, and, and I don't, Okay, I I have two minds on this. Number one, I think they should. I think they should say it. I think yeah. they should be willing to do it. On the other hand, it's a controversial thing, and if they do say that during the debate, that becomes the major talking point coming out of the debate is that they admitted this thing. Mm -hmm. Republicans are going to jump all over media. The media is going to play along and make this a big deal. Um, I don't know. 
Yep. But so from that Wait. perspective, I think it's smart for them not to mention it. Well, On the other hand, my other worry is that Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and many other Democrats actually want to do it. They don't have the stomach to actually do it. I think Joe Biden said as much in previous times. I know that Kamala Harris has said the opposite, but she's definitely tempered her view, at least in public, since she joined the ticket. So, yeah, let's see what happens after their first year or two. If they get some they get a bunch of rulings from the Supreme Court that don't go their way. Let's see if they still feel the same way. Mm hmm. I, I think they should just do it from day one so that there's no controversy. It's like, you know, no, you, you guys stole, you yeah. know, you stole three seats here, basically. Right. Uh, you know, you know, you want to talk about packing courts. You guys, you guys uh, filibustered one seat illegitimately, considering the duties of the, the Senate, which we've talked about before. Um, mm hmm. And you stole that seat, and then you had another guy step down so you could replace him with a younger version, more conservative version. And, and his then, son, and his son works at Deutsche Bank, which holds a lot of Trump's loans. Go on. <laughs> and and yeah, the third person, a, a dying woman's wish not to be replaced until after the election. You guys rammed through somebody behind, uh, but less than a month before the election, one previously, you know, just four years ago, mm -hmm. you said you couldn't seat somebody over a year before the election because it was too close to the damn election. Uh, but you, see, the you guys, thing that you guys Mitch McConnell packed, says... If anybody's <laughs> packing the cords, it's Republicans. Yeah. You know? uh, but see, Mitch McConnell says that the reason that that's not hypocrisy is that in power as opposed to the one in the White House and the Senate. So now it's different since they're both Republicans, so it's fine. So there's no no hypocrisy here, Chuck. Yeah, we'll see how many we'll see how many how many uh, seats of government they hold after this, as far as the the three yeah. parts of government. Let's let's see what they, you know. Yeah, okay, you got the Supreme Court if you can keep it. Uh, we'll see how you're doing in the Senate, the Congress, and the uh, and the and the White House after this. And you know, maybe I'll be wrong, but I have a feeling you guys are gonna get a comeuppance here very shortly. Yeah. Um, so, um, like, and at, at a certain point, I, I, I made a note here on this thing that I think, again, another criticism I have of the debate format is that it makes everybody competing for time. Right? Uh -huh. the, the, I said the format of just fill up as much time as possible and try to make more, take more than the other guy is remarkably dysfunctional. I said in some cases, like I think a simple yes or no answer and just relinquish the rest of your time would be more effective, mm -hmm. but they will never, ever do that, right? Sometimes like, you know, Kamala Harris, will you do this if you're the president? Yes. Next question. Asked and answered. Good. Finished, right? That would be, that would actually be more effective than yes. And here's why. It's, it would actually be. You know, like when you're writing, to be a good writer, I, I think, like, you don't just write short, consistent sentences. And you don't just write long, drawn-out, complicated, complex sentences. You variate it a little bit, right? Um, variate may or may not be a word. <laughs> and you make up new words along the way. It should be a mixture of long and short sentences when you're writing. That's That's what makes for compelling and readable and interesting and, you know, engaging thing to read. And I think like sometimes you don't need to talk a lot. You just say yes or no. You say it boldly. You let it stand on its own merits. And that that speaks louder than, you know, trying to eat up your entire two minutes. Mm -hmm. But because this is the kind of debating we have, nobody ever does that. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think they should. Mm -hmm. And actually, 
I think if one person started doing it in a debate and it was effective, I think the other person might actually start copying them. They might realize, okay, this person is not just trying to eat up time. They're actually, at some points, they're just giving a definitive answer and letting it stand. And, okay, I guess I've got two minutes or maybe three and a half minutes now if I want it, but it would actually behoove me to actually just answer shortly. I think our next topic was, and this may be topic number six, was racial justice. Mm -hmm. In March, Breonna Taylor, a 26-year-old emergency room technician in Louisville, was shot and killed after police officers executing a search warrant in a narcotics investigation broke into her apartment. The police said they identified themselves. Taylor's boyfriend said he didn't hear them do that. He used a gun registered to him to fire a shot, which wounded an officer. The officers then fired more than 20 rounds into the apartment. They say they were acting in self-defense. None of them have been indicted in connection with her death. Senator Harris, in the case of Breonna Taylor, was justice done? You have two minutes. I don't believe so. And I've, I've talked with Breonna's mother, Tamika Palmer, and her family. And her family deserves justice. She was a beautiful young woman. She had as her life goal to become a nurse, and she wanted to become an EMT to first learn what's going on out on the street so she could then become a nurse and save lives. And her life was taken unjustifiably and tragically and violently. And it just, it, it brings me to, you know, the eight minutes and 46 seconds that America witnessed, during which an American man was tortured and killed under the knee of an armed, uniformed police officer. And people around our country, of every race, of every age, of every gender, perfect strangers to each other, marched shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, fighting for us to finally achieve that ideal of equal justice under law. And I was a part of those peaceful protests. And I believe strongly that, first of all, we are never going to condone violence, but we always must fight for the values that we hold dear, including the fight to achieve our ideals. And that's why Joe Biden and I have said on this subject, look, and I'm a, I'm a former career prosecutor. I know what I'm talking about. Bad cops are bad for good cops. We need reform of our policing in America and our criminal justice system, which is why Joe and I will immediately ban chokeholds and carotid holes. George Floyd would be alive today if we did that. We will require a national registry for police officers who break the law. We will, on the issue of criminal justice reform, get rid of private prisons and cash bail, and Thank we you. will decriminalize marijuana, and we will, we will expunge the records of those who have Thank been you, convicted Harris. of marijuana. This is Thank the you, time Senator for Harris. leadership on a tragic tragic issue Senator Harris, of unarmed black up. people in America who Thank have been Thank you, Senator killed. Harris. Vice President Pence, let me pose the same question to you. In the case of Breonna Taylor, was justice done? You have two minutes uninterrupted. Well, our heart breaks for the loss of innocent, any innocent American life. And the family of Breonna Taylor has our sympathies. But I, I trust our justice system a grand jury that refused the evidence. And it really is remarkable that as a former prosecutor, 
you would assume that an impaneled grand jury looking at all the evidence got it wrong, but uh, you're entitled to your opinion, Senator. I think, look, and with regard to George Floyd, there, there's no excuse for what happened to George Floyd. And justice will be served. But there's also no excuse for the rioting and looting that followed. I mean, it, it really is astonishing. Flora Westbrook is with us here tonight in Salt Lake City. Just a few weeks ago, I stood at what used to be uh, her salon. It was burned to the ground by rioters and looters. And, and Flora is still trying to put her life back together. And I must tell you, this, this, this presumption that you hear consistently uh, from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, that, uh, that America is systemically racist, mm. And that, as Joe Biden said, that he believes that law enforcement has an implicit bias against minorities is, is a great insult to the men and women who serve in law enforcement. And I want everyone to know who puts on the uniform of law enforcement every day that President Trump and I stand with you. And it is remarkable that, that when Senator Tim Scott tried to pass a police reform bill, brought together a group of Republicans and Democrats. Senator Harris, you got up and walked out of the room. And then you filibustered Senator Tim Scott's bill on the Senate floor that would have provided new accountability, new resources. But we don't have to choose between supporting law enforcement, proving public safety, and supporting our African-American neighbors you, and President. all of our minorities. Under President Trump's leadership, you, we will always Pence. stand with law enforcement and we'll do what we've done Vice from President day Pence, one and is improve the up. lives of African Americans. Thank you, Vice record President. Record unemployment, Pence. record Vice investments Pence, in education, and up. we'll fight for school choice for all of our members. Thank you, Vice President. I'd like to respond. Senator Harris. I will not sit here and be lectured by the Vice President on what it means to enforce the laws of our country. I am the only one on this stage who was personally prosecuted everything from child sexual assault to homicide. I'm the only one on this stage who has prosecuted the big banks for taking advantage of America's homeowners. I'm the only one on this stage who prosecuted for-profit colleges for taking advantage of our veterans. And the reality of this is that we are talking about an election in 27 days where last week the President of the United States took a debate stage in front of 70 million Americans and refused to condemn white supremacists. Not true. And Not true. it wasn't like he didn't have a chance. He didn't do it, and then he doubled down. And then he said, when pressed, stand back, stand by. And this is a part of a pattern of Donald Trump's. You, he, was, he called Mexicans rapists and criminals. He instituted as his first act a Muslim ban, he on the issue of Charlottesville, where people were peacefully protesting the need for racial justice, where a young woman was killed. And on the other side, there were neo-Nazis carrying tiki torches, shouting racial epithets, anti-Semitic slurs, and Donald Trump, when asked about it, said there were fine people on both sides. This is who we have as the president Susan, of the United Susan, States. And America, Susan. you deserve better. Joe Biden will be a president who brings our country together. Senator Harris. And, and, and recognizes the beauty in our diversity 
and the fact Senator that we all Harris, have so you. much more in common than what separates us. Vice President Pence, let me give you a minute to respond. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate that very much. You know, I think this is one of the things that uh, makes people dislike the media so much in this country, Susan, is that you selectively edit, just like Senator Harris did, comments that President Trump and I and others on our side of the aisle make. I mean, Senator Harris conveniently omitted, after the, after the president made comments about people on either side of the debate over monuments, he condemned the KKK, neo-Nazis, and white supremacists, and has done so repeatedly. You're concerned that he doesn't condemn neo-Nazis. President Trump has Jewish grandchildren. His daughter and son-in-law are Jewish. This is a president who, who respects and cherishes all of the American people. But you talk about having personally prosecuted. I'm glad you brought up your record, Senator. Thank you. That's, I, I really need to make this point. When you, were, when you were DA in San Francisco, when you left office, African Americans were 19 times more likely to be prosecuted for minor drug offenses than whites and Hispanics. When you were Attorney General you. of California, you, you increased the, the disproportionate incarceration of Thank blacks you. in California. Yeah. You did nothing on criminal yeah. justice reform in California. You didn't lift a That's, finger to you. pass the First Step Act on Capitol Hill. I mean, the reality is your record speaks you, for Vice itself. President, President Trump and I have fought for criminal justice reform. Thank you, Vice President. We've fought Pence. for educational choice and opportunities for African Americans, all of our members. Thank you, sir. And we'll do it for four months. Thank members. you. You know, there is no more important issue than the final issue that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the issue of the election but, but itself. He attacked my record. I would like an opportunity okay. to respond. Let me give you 30 seconds because, we, we, because we're running out of time. I appreciate that. First of all, having served as the Attorney General of the State of California, the work that I did is a model of what our nation needs to do and we will be able to do under a Joe Biden presidency. Our, our agenda includes what this administration has failed to do. It will be about not only instituting a ban on chokeholds and carotid holes. Thank you. Not only, uh, thank you, Senator. I Harris. would like to go through. These are points that you made earlier in the hour, and I want to talk about the election itself before we have to. But I want to debate. talk about the connection between what Joe and I will do and my record, which includes I was the first statewide officer to institute a requirement that my agents would wear body cameras and keep them on full time. We were the first to initiate a, a requirement that there would be a training for law enforcement on implicit bias because, yes, Joe Biden and I recognize that implicit bias does exist, Mr. Vice President, contrary to what you may believe. We did the work of instituting reforms that were about investing in reentry. This is the work that we have done and the work we will do going forward. And again, I will not be lectured by the Vice President on our record of what we have done in terms of law enforcement and keeping our communities safe and a commitment to reforming the criminal justice system of America. Thank you, Senator Harris. And I'd like to pose the first, I'd like you to respond first to the question on our final topic, the election itself. Um, Kamala Harris says, Breonna Taylor, in Breonna Taylor's case, justice was not done. Bad cops are bad for good cops. Um, Talked about banning chokeholds, a national registry for cops who break the law, eliminate private prisons. That's I think that's that's a that's a that's something I want to hear. It's a winning um, issue for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think eliminate cash bail, decriminalize marijuana, 
and expunge the records of those with marijuana con uh, convictions. Which again, this is one of those issues that I think a lot of Bernie Kratz would have loved to have hear heard about many, many months ago when, when Bernie dropped out and everybody was mad as hell. You know, if we had known that Biden was going to come along on some of these issues, you know, okay, decriminalizing, that's not legalizing, but it's a step in the right direction. And, you know, kind of like, you know, don't ask, don't tell wasn't gay marriage, but it was a step in the direction towards eventual gay marriage. Right. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, these are things that like, why am I hearing about these in a vice presidential debate a month before the election? That's what I want to know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And hopefully some of our listeners, if they haven't heard the debate and they haven't heard about these issues, hopefully they're hearing about them from us and, you know. They are, you know, prepared to act on the knowledge, but it's kind of a shame again, we're having the Biden work campaign's the, messaging. Yeah, the, the 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 campaign should be doing this work, not us. You know, like we shouldn't yeah. be hearing about this for the first time now. Yeah, I mean, there should be people, there should be people from the campaign going on the news and talking about these things, but they're not because we, you know, it's a it's a national crisis right now, and everybody spends most of their day worrying about what Donald Trump is tweeting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or whether his own incompetence has gotten him in COVID-19 and how, is, how irresponsible is he? And so they go on, you know, Morning Joe and talk about those issues or whatever. They're not talking about their own issues. Absolutely. Even when the issues would be big vote movers for a lot of people, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, okay, so this is where Mark, Mike Pence gets to – this is where the kind of the disingenuous of this kind of a right-winger comes across. Right. And I think that this this is how you become a Republican politician. You hold all the same, you know, disgusting views on all this stuff that every other Republican does. <sighs> but you able to you're able to throw out a, a, a throw out a, a throw a bone to the rhetorical style that says that what happened to these black people was a tragedy. In fact, before mm -hmm. you can go in about how, you know, you don't you don't care about the protesters in Antifa. You just want to support the, the police. <laughs> Uh, he says, uh, well, our heart breaks for Breonna Taylor's family. He says, I trust our justice system, there's, but there's no excuse for rioting or looting. And he he mentions he brought he brought us along. Uh, he brought along along some salon owner and her salon was burned down or something in in the in the protests. <clears throat> and I think it's at this point at one minute or one hour, 27 minutes, and 38 seconds on my file. <laughs> where a the fly finally alights on Mike Pence's head. Okay, see, I wasn't watching close enough to to see this moment happen, but you just uh, this happened. What was the timestamp stamp again? One hour, twenty seven minutes, and thirty eight seconds. So it was right near the end, huh? Yeah, okay. it came pretty late. Um, gotcha. And yeah, it was bizarre. I I've heard differing reports. I I was gonna I I noticed it. It wasn't there, and then it was there, and I backed it up a couple times just trying to find the exact second where it happened, and so that's where it happened. Um, and I meant to go back and see how long it stayed because I've heard some people say it stayed for two minutes and some people say it stayed for four minutes. So I don't yeah. actually know when it left his head. I heard two minutes. So, and I heard that, uh, Kamala also noticed it. I, that's the other thing I was trying to see if she could notice it because I, I really, I heard someone say, I'll have to go back and watch that moment again. Cause I was mostly just listening to it. So I didn't really get the visual on, on this. So. Well, you know, on, uh, <laughs> On on Mike Mike Pence's white as snow hair, it really does. It, it's very uh, conspicuous. Uh, and but the thing is, I think like 
I think it's possible that the debate moderator herself, because she's kind of down into the front of him and he's turning to his right a little bit to face Kamala and the, the, the fly is on the top right front part of his hair. So I'm not sure that the debate moderator could have seen it or necessarily that she would have said anything if she had seen it. I don't know. Yeah. What are you going to say? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's like kind of a really awkward moment in a live debate. Uh, sir, there's a I mean, it's, you know, Republicans would probably scream that she made him look bad or something. But it's like, yeah, if you can get the fly off your head and it's not sitting there like like the disgusting booger or whatever on T- Tom Cruise or uh, what's his name? Uh, Cruise. Ted Cruz's Cruz? mouth or what his nose oh, really licked up with his that. loser <laughs> tongue. <laughs> other debate. Oh yeah, I remember that. It was so gross. Yeah, I mean, if it's not like if it, if it doesn't turn into a situation like that, I mean, you know, I don't know. Um, so that, that happened while he was talking about respecting law enforcement. That the fly landed. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's see. The the fly lights on his head. And supposedly it stays there for a couple of minutes. Uh, Harris says, I will not sit here and be lectured by the vice president on what it means to enforce the laws of our country. I am the only one on this stage who has personally prosecuted everything from child sexual assault to homicide. We are talking about an election in 27 days where last week the president took a debate stage in front of 70 million people and refused to condemn white supremacists. And Mike Pence, not true, not true. And she's continuing, and it wouldn't, and it wasn't like he didn't have a chance. He didn't do it, and then he doubled down, and then he said, when pressed, stand back and stand by. And this mm. is part of a pattern: Mexicans are rapists and drug dealers. The Muslim ban, Charlottesville, uh, and he said, fine people were on both sides, mm. and so forth. Um, and at this point, I think Mike Pence got one minute to respond, and he overtalked his time again. Mm-hmm. Mm, and then he said, this is why the American people hate the media. You're both selectively edited. You've both selectively edited what Trump said. Or sorry, you both selectively edited what Trump and I and people on our side of the aisle have said. Um, he said, you know, Trump's grandchildren are Jewish. How can he be anti? How can he be an anti-Semite? <laughs> it's like I don't know, but he manages it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I think that there were supposed to be six topics, but we come to the seventh, which is the election itself. President Trump has several times refused to commit himself to a peaceful transfer of power after the election. If your ticket wins and President Trump refuses to accept a peaceful transfer of power, what steps would you and Vice President Biden then take? What would happen next? You have two minutes. So I'll tell you, um... Joe and I are, I think, particularly um, proud of the coalition that we've built around our campaign. We probably have one of the broadest coalitions of folks that you've ever seen in a presidential race. Of course, we have the support of Democrats, but also independents and Republicans. In fact, um, seven members of uh, President George W. Bush's cabinet are supporting our ticket. Uh, We have the support of, of Colin Powell. Cindy McCain, John Kasich, um, over 500 uh, generals, retired generals and and former national security experts and advisors are supporting our campaign. And I believe they are doing that because they know that Joe Biden has a deep, deep deep-seated commitment to fight for our democracy and to fight for the integrity of our democracy and to bring integrity back to the White House. 
And so we believe in the American people. We believe in our democracy. And here's what I'd like to say to everybody. Vote. Please vote. Vote early. Come up with a plan to vote. Go to IWillVote.com. You can also go to, to JoeBiden.com. We have it within our power in these next 27 days to make the decision about what will be the course of our country for the next four years. And it is within our power. And if we use our vote and we use our voice, we will win. And we will not let anyone subvert our democracy with what Donald Trump has been doing, as he did on the debate stage last week, when again in front of 70 million people, he openly attempted to suppress the vote. Joe Biden, on the other hand, on that same debate stage, because clearly Donald Trump doesn't think he can run on a record because it's a failed record, Joe Biden on that stage said, hey, just please vote. So I'll repeat what Joe said, please vote. Thank you, Senator. Vice President Pence, President Trump has several times refused to commit himself to a peaceful transfer of power after the election. If Vice President Biden is declared the winner and President Trump refuses to accept a peaceful transfer of power, what would be your role and responsibility as vice president? What would you personally do? You have two minutes. Well, Susan, first and foremost, I think we're going to win this election. Because while uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris rattle off a long litany of the establishment in Washington, D.C., an establishment that Joe Biden's been a part of for 47 years, President Donald Trump has, has launched a movement of everyday Americans from every walk of life. And... Uh, I have every confidence that those, those same Americans that delivered that historic victory in 2016, they see this president's record where we rebuild our military. We revived our economy through tax cuts and rolling back regulation, fighting for fair trade, unleashing American energy. We appointed conservatives to our federal courts at every level. And, and we stood with the men and women of law enforcement every single day. And I think, I think that movement of Americans has only grown stronger in the last four years. When you talk about accepting the outcome of the election, um, I must tell you, Senator, your party has spent the last three and a half years trying to overturn the results of the last election. It's amazing. When Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, the FBI actually spied on President Trump and my campaign. I mean, there were documents released this week that the CIA actually made a referral uh, to the FBI documenting that those allegations were coming from the Hillary Clinton campaign. And, of course, we've all seen the avalanche, the, what, what you put the country through for, for the better part of, of three years until it was found that there was no obstruction, no collusion, case closed. And then, Senator Harris, you and your colleagues in the, in the Congress tried to impeach the president of the United States over a phone call. And now Hillary Clinton has actually said to Joe Biden that under, in her words, under no circumstances should he concede the election. So let me just say, I think we're going to win this election. President Trump and I are fighting every day in courthouses to prevent Joe Biden and Kamala Harris from changing the rules and creating this universal mail-in voting that will create a massive opportunity for voter fraud. And we have a free and fair election. Uh, we know we're going to have confidence in it. And I believe in all my heart that President Donald Trump's going to be reelected for four more years. A question that maybe shouldn't have to be asked, but it does in this case. Mm -hmm. um, Kamala Harris said, we have a broad coalition, including, of course, Democrats, many independents and many Republicans. Uh, please vote. 
Uh, Mike Pence said, the FBI spied on the Trump campaign in 2016, which is bullshit. They were looking at members of the Trump campaign campaign who were in contact with Russians. Yeah, don't be in contact uh, with Russians, and no one will investigate you. <laughs> yeah, like I think they were they were they were uh, watching Carter Page since before he was part of the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. Then he became part of the Trump campaign, and they continued watching him. Right? That's I mean that's the scandal. Uh, as far as I can, as far as I know, right? I mean, like that's the that this is the Obama Gate or whatever that he always talks mm-hmm. about. Uh, he says, you tried to impeach the president over a phone call. Uh, Hillary Clinton recently told Joe Biden that under no circumstances should he concede this election. And he shouldn't. If 20, if, if the vote, the election of the year 2000 taught us anything, it's, you know, give the vote counting a chance. Do not preemptively surrender. My God, smart. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, and then finally, I think the last thing that uh, Harris talked about, one of the reasons why Joe decided to run is because after Charlottesville, it so troubled him as as it did all of us. Um, and I'm just thinking like, oh, come on. You know, I've, uh, I've asked, I've written all the questions that I've asked tonight, but for the final question of the debate, I'd like to um, write a, uh, read a question that someone else wrote. The Utah Debate Commission asked students in the state to write essays about what they would like to ask you. And I want to close tonight's debate with the question posed by Brecklin Brown. She's an eighth grader at Springville Junior High in Springville, Utah. And here's what she wrote, quote, when I watch the news, all I see is arguing between Democrats and Republicans. When I watch the news, all I see is citizen fighting against citizen. When I watch the news, all I see are two candidates from opposing parties trying to tear each other down. If our leaders can't get along, how are the citizens supposed to get along? And then she added, your examples could make all the difference to bring us together, end quote. So to each of you in turn, I'd like you to take one minute and respond to Brecklin. Vice President Pence, you have one minute. Brecklin, it's a wonderful question. And um, let me just commend you for taking an interest in, in public life. I started following the news when I was very young. And in America, we believe in a free and open exchange of debate. And we celebrate that. And it's how we've created literally the freest and most prosperous nation in the history of the world. I would tell you that don't assume that what you're seeing on your local news networks is synonymous with the American people. You know, I look at the relationship between Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late justice who we just lost from the Supreme Court, and the late Justice Antonin Scalia. They were on polar opposites on the Supreme Court of the United States, one very liberal, one very conservative. But what's been learned since her passing was the two of them and their families were the very closest of friends. I mean, here in America, we can disagree. We can debate vigorously, as Senator Harris and I have on this stage tonight. But when the debate is over, we come together as Americans. And that's what people do in big cities and small towns all across this country. So I just want to encourage you, Brecklin. I I want to tell you that um, we're going to work every day to have government as good as our people. And the American people each and every day love a good debate. We love a good argument but we always come together and are always there for one another Thank you, in times President. of need. And we've especially learned that 
Thank through you, Mr. the Vice difficulties of this year. Senator Harris, what would you say to Brooklyn? Um, first of all, I, I love hearing from our young leaders. And when I hear her words, when I hear your words, Brecklin, um, I know our future is bright because it is that perspective on who we are and who we should be um, that is a sign of leadership and is something we should all aspire to be. Um, and that, you know, that brings me to Joe. Joe Biden, one of the reasons that Joe decided to run for president is after Charlottesville, which we talked about earlier. Um, it so troubled him and upset him like it did all of us that there was that kind of hate and division. Um, what propelled Joe to run for president was to see that over the course of the last four years, what Brecklin described has been happening. Joe has a long-standing reputation of working across the aisle and working in a bipartisan way. Uh, and that's what he's going to do as president. Joe Biden has a history of lifting people up and fighting for their dignity. You I mean, you have to know Joe's story to know that Joe has known pain, he has known suffering, and he has known love. And so, Brecklin, when you think about the future, I do believe the future is bright. And it will be because of your leadership, and it will be because we fight for each person's voice through their vote, and we get engaged in this election because you have the ability through your work and through eventually your vote Thank you, to Senator determine Harris. the future of our country and what its leadership looks like. Thank you, Senator Harris. Thank you, Vice President Pence. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We want to thank also the University of Utah for its hospitality, and most of all, our thanks to all the Americans who watched this debate tonight. Again, our best wishes for a quick recovery to President Trump, the First Lady, and everyone who is battling COVID-19. The second presidential debate is next week on October 15th, a town hall-style debate in Miami. We hope you'll join us then. Good evening. After, Clinton, after Hillary Clinton lost in 2016, Joe Biden running for president was a foregone conclusion. He didn't decide mm -hmm. after Charlottesville to run for president. Come on. It's, it's a, a nice, nice thing to say. It's a nice thing, thought. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Come on. Not true. Yeah. I mean, that's I. Okay. Whatever. Anyways, <laughs> thus concludes my notes, Bob. That's that's seven wow. pages of of the uh, vice president 2020 vice presidential yeah. debate. Gotta say, it was not the knockout punch I had expected and hoped for, and yeah. I, I think that. Mike Pence is slipperier, slipperier than I gave him credit for, and uh, I don't think Kamala exactly followed up the way she should have sometimes, and I think she let the old side eye and the uh, I'm talking do more of the work than actually verbally body slamming him for shilling for the Trump administration, but, you know, it's... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, to be to be fair to her... I don't know what kind of restrictions were put on her by the Joe Biden campaign. Sure, yeah, they probably muscled Biden's her self. a little bit. Like, yeah. I don't know if he told her, like, I mean, there's an she's argument so, to be she's made. So, she's, she's so good in those Senate hearings with, like, nailing people down and asking the same question over and over again and not letting people wiggle away that I was a little surprised that that happened this time. So, yeah, maybe they did get in her ear about that. So, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, the number one thing that I was excited about, I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, there's a huge debate as to how 
left wing she actually is. You know, some people think right. she's the most liberal senator. Other people think she's like a, you know, a, a jack booted thug police officer from <laughs> California or some some. I don't know. Maybe the truth somewhere in the middle. But like um, the thing that when she was announced as the vice presidential pick, the thing that I was most positive about her being the vice presidential pick was that she has a great you know, prosecutorial vibe in the Senate and she could, mm-hmm. you know, she could really prosecute the case in the debate. And I'm sorry to say, for whatever reason, we didn't really see that this time. Mm-mm. And we know she can do it in a debate because we've seen her do it to her boss, Joe Biden right now. You know, we saw her just absolutely take him to task at one point in a very uncomfortable, aggressive and controlled way. I mean, like that was that was the thing that I was really wanting to see, and I didn't see it. Um, that, that doesn't mean that Mike Pence won the debate. You know, he's full of shit. But um, and he's and he's and to be absolutely 100% totally fair to Mike Pence, he is defending the most disastrous uh, administration in probably entire American history. I mean, yeah, he doesn't have a lot to de- defend. So, I mean, congratulations to him, I guess, for at least having a word of response for every single thing she said, even if it was bullshit or he didn't have any facts to back it up or whatever at certain points. Um, Right. So, but, you know, by not losing, I, I'm not one of the people that subscribes to the thought that that means that he won. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll see what happens in the election in less than three weeks here. Yeah, I'm not sure that this moved any needles, nor did the last debate, really. I feel like everyone who came into it with one opinion probably left with the same opinion. I don't really know if anybody was swayed. No, I th- I, th- I, I definitely – I don't know if they're swayed enough to vote, but I definitely saw some Trump supporters on Facebook that were like, look, I, I like Trump, but he was fucking crazy at that debate, <laughs> like, and not in a good way. Right. So I but definitely think- saw some Trump supporters like that, but – but do you think that the evangelicals or whatever have enough cover once and again with with Pence to to pull the lever, or is it because I know that was the reason that he was initially picked or whatever? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think mean, see, I, but... I think when I think about evangelical voters, largely I think about elderly voters, older voters, retirees, mm-hmm. and so forth, an, an aging generation. Yeah, they're not and all. I think the the aging generation. Um, is being decimated by COVID-19 right now. Yeah. And so I think, I think the combination, well the one-two punch of Donald Trump's debate performance being described as a crackhead last time <laughs> and him immediately catching COVID or having already had COVID at the debate, I think that, I think, I think that was kind of piercing the chink in his armor here that, mm-hmm. no, this guy is not an in, invincible strong man. He's an incompetent who can't even protect his own administration or people around him. Right. And, you know, for people, people who maybe don't pay attention to the news very often and they don't actually see Donald Trump behaving the way he does day to day to see his behavior suddenly in the debate like that, it was probably a little bit of a wake up call for some people. Again, I don't know how many people that changes, but um, I think the combination of those two things is probably the death knell for his his chances. Yeah, I saw even Ben Sass was on uh, town hall with uh, people in his state, and like he basically said that there's no no way he's gonna win or something. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Senator. Uh, 
I think, like a lot of Nebraskans, I'm trying to understand your relationship with the president. Um, why do you have to criticize him so much? Uh, sure. So uh, that is a very fair question. And I guess I, I kind of think about it like this. Um, I think we should distinguish between policy agreement and policy disagreement, and then also long-term political implications as well. So I've worked hard uh, to develop a good working relationship with the president over the last three and a half years. I obviously campaigned for a lot of other people in the 2016 cycle, um, but Donald Trump is our president now, so I've worked hard to develop a good relationship with him. He's got a hard job, and we're called to pray for our leaders, so that's what we do regularly at the breakfast table at our house, is we pray for the president um, and, and the first lady and for Vice President Pence in their callings. Um, and there are obviously a number of issue areas where President Trump and I have policy alignment now, or maybe a better way to put it is where the president has now adopted traditionally Republican positions um, that he used to reject for the majority of his life when he was funding Democratic candidates. So, um, for example, one of the places where he's changed, as we were just mentioning uh, to the last questioner, is I think he's nominated truly great judges, and I've worked with him on that. In fact, I, I went on the Judiciary Committee after he was elected, um, explicitly to advocate for the kind of originalists and constitutionalists uh, that he had put on his list and that he had agreed to nominate. I'm the first Nebraskan on the Judiciary Committee in, uh, I think, 46 years. I'm 48 years old, and I'm the first Nebraskan on the committee since the mid-'70s. So there are definitely places where we agree. But, uh, as your question uh, says, there are obviously a lot of places where he and I differ as well. Um, and these aren't just mere policy issues. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not at all apologetic for having fought for my values against his in places where I think his um, are deficient, not just for, for a Republican, but for an American. So the, the way he kisses dictators' butts, I mean, the way he um, ignores that the Uyghurs are in literal concentration camps in Xinjiang right now. He hasn't lifted a a finger on behalf of the Hong Kongers. I mean, he and I have a very different foreign policy. It isn't just that he fails to lead our allies, it's that we, the United States now regularly sells out our allies under his leadership. The way he treats women and spends like a, a drunken sailor, the ways I criticize President Obama for that kind of spending, I've criticized President Trump for as well. He mocks um, evangelicals behind closed doors. His, his family has treated the presidency like a business opportunity. He's flirted with white supremacists. I mean, the, the places where we differed on COVID, he, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, he refused to treat it seriously for months. He treated it like a news cycle by news cycle PR crisis rather than a multi-year public health challenge, which is what it is. And now, I mean, in his partial defense here, I think that lots of the news media has pretended that COVID is literally the, the first public health crisis ever, and somehow it's Donald Trump's fault. That's not true. They just wanted to use it against him. Um, but the reality is that he careened from curb to curb. First, he ignored COVID, and, and then he went into full economic shutdown mode. Um, he, he was the one who said 10 to 14 days of shutdown would fix this, and that was always wrong. I mean, and so I, I don't think the way he's led through COVID has been reasonable or responsible uh, or right. And so these are these are some of the important policy or, or sort of leadership places where we differ, stuff, stuff we don't see eye to eye on. And I think that it's my duty to level with Nebraskans 
even though I recognize that a lot of our voters in Nebraska uh, are, are Trumpier than I am, and they sometimes get frustrated with me. Um, but I also think voters have, have told me the most common thing I hear uh, from Nebraskans is they have a very mixed perspective on the president. They think he does some stuff well, and they think he does some stuff poorly. And the truth of the matter is, I think he's done some stuff well and some poorly. And so I've been honest about that. Um, but those are, those are kind of policy and leadership issues. I think it's also worth, for those of us who, who care about the party of Lincoln and Reagan, we should distinguish between policy and politics, because my dissents um, from President Trump are not only about policy, but it's also a prudential question or a political question about whether or not he's ultimately driving the country further to the left, because that's what I think is ultimately going to happen because of Donald Trump. This has been my fear um, for five years. It's why I campaigned for everybody not named Trump in, in 2016. And that is because I think folks have, have regularly misunderstood the meaning of 2016. Donald Trump didn't win the presidency um, because America actually wants more reality TV, round-the-clock, stupid political obsessions. I, I just don't think that that's what my neighbors want. It's not what I hear when I travel the state. I've spent lots of the, of the last year um, on a campaign bus. And when you listen to Nebraskans, they don't really want more rage-tweeting um, as a new form of entertainment. I think the overwhelming reason that President Trump won in 2016 was simply because Hillary Clinton was literally the most unpopular candidate in the history of polling. Uh, we've, we've had polls going back uh, about 85 years, and Hillary Clinton is by far the worst presidential candidate America has ever had, general election presidential candidate. And I think that's why President Trump won, not because he laid out a constructive vision of the country that Americans united around. And so I think it's always been imprudent for my party, again, as I, as I mentioned, calling it the, the party of Lincoln and Reagan. Those are the heights of American history. It has always been imprudent for our party um, to try to tie itself to a Trumpian brand, and that's what I've been worried about for five years. And so for, for months as I've been campaigning uh, over the end of 2019 and all of 2020 again, I've been straight with Nebraskans that I'm worried that if President Trump loses, as looks likely, um, that he's going to take the Senate down with him. And if conservatives lose the Senate, here's what progressives are going to try to do. They're, they're going to fracture the, the deliberative structure of the Senate. That's what blowing up the filibuster means. And that's the whole ballgame. They're going to add states. They're going to pack the Supreme Court. And that puts religious liberty and the broader First Amendment at risk. And that's the heart of who we are as Americans, is people who understand that government doesn't give us our rights. God gives us our rights via nature. And government is just our shared project to secure those things. And Donald Trump doesn't steward that. He doesn't do storytelling to the next generation. And now Senate Democrats, if they get to a supermajority that they can end the filibuster, I'm worried um, that some of the most you know, terrible nuttiness that we see happening on campus will get imported into our jurisprudence. And that's, that would be a terrible remaking of America. And so from, from where I sit as one of the most conservative guys in the U.S. Senate, I'm now looking at the possibility of a, of a Republican bloodbath in the Senate. And that's why I've never been on the Trump train. It's why I didn't um, agree to serve on his reelection committee, and it's why I'm not campaigning for him, because I spend all my time um, thinking about the one political question that's most central next month, which is holding the U.S. Senate. If if we don't, I'll, I'll, I'll pull up and get back to questions here, Tyler, but I, I just think if we don't um, retain the Senate, 
there's a very good chance that 10 years from now we're going to have a Venezuela-like, you know, dozens of members of the Supreme Court. You can imagine 30, 40 people on the Supreme Court at some point. And when, when all of our allies in the Pacific have sided with China because Trump's isolationism was so weak um, that our allies began to doubt for the first time since World War II whether they could trust in U.S. strength and U.S. will and U.S. courage and U.S. virtue and values. If young people become permanent Democrats because they've just been repulsed um, by the, the obsessive nature of our politics, or if, if women who, who were willing to still vote with the Republican Party on 2016 um, decide that they need to turn away from this party permanently in the future, the debate is not going to be, you know, Ben's asked, why were you so mean to Donald Trump? It's going to be, what the heck were any of us thinking um, that selling a TV-obsessed, narcissistic individual to the American people was a good idea? It is not a good idea. I think we are, we are staring down the barrel of a blue tsunami, and we've got to hold the Senate, and so that's what I'm focused on. I'm not, I'm not focused on Donald Trump. I think the media has done a terrible job of making us all believe that the presidency is always the most important thing for people to talk about. First of all, politics shouldn't be the center of our, our conversation or our life or our culture or our economics. But even inside politics, the presidency shouldn't be the center of that. And I think that Donald Trump and the media are united in wanting to make him the center of every conversation. And I think overwhelmingly, the most important political issue we face right now is whether or not Republicans can retain it. And so that's what I'm spending my, my time and energy on. Thanks for, for your question. Tyler, who's, who's next? Yeah, I think um, I saw that uh, 538 now has the chances of Trump winning at like 14%. Yeah, it's very low. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, the early voting numbers are insane. I'm about to actually, I got my ballot that Ash and I filled out our ballots last night. We're going to go turn those in today. So I'll still have to see how long the lines are here locally. But I've heard the numbers are way, way up all over. So that's probably a good sign, I would think. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've got my ballot too. I've got it mostly filled out. I've just got to figure out a a couple more of the, you know, the local, you know, the school board seats or the. Yeah, I didn't really. Mess with all that. Yeah, I didn't really mess with all that, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, in Lawrence County, it's pretty much all Republicans, anyways. It almost doesn't even matter, but like, right. Yeah, frankly, any place on the ballot where I could, where there was no Democratic challenger, I left it blank Mm -hmm. because, you know, I want there to be a discrepancy between the number of votes cast and the number that actually went to support the Republican unchallenged incumbent (laughs) for the position so that they absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who, even when they don't have an option, they're not going to vote for me. Exactly. So, but once I figure out the school board or whatever the last item on the list is, where it's like there's six or seven members, the thing's going in. And it's going to be done within the next week here. Good. We'll be back in plenty of time then, I would hope. So. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty quick process, what I do with, mm. the, with the board there. It's a matter of, you know... I don't know, you, you scan some things, you scan some documents, you scan some legal documents, so forth, so on and so forth. And then it's just a matter of uh, transmitting the file over the Internet as long as you, you know, you scan it and you sign things and you, you know, let them know exactly who you are and stuff. You're in contact with them. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's that easy necessarily everywhere. And I'm kind of surprised it's that that simple in Lawrence County. But, yeah, it's kind of high tech. Well, good. 
Yep. So, anyways, I don't know. Did you, Bob? Did you have any more thoughts about the the vice presidential debate? I know I, I kind of just like rambled a lot there, but no, I th- I think you covered most of it. I mean, what do you think of this being the last thing voters think about before they go in if there aren't any more debates? I kind of hope, like you said, I hope there's not. I hope I hope this is the end. I, I don't really think we needed to see anything else from anybody <laughs> at the mm-hmm. top of the ticket to make a decision. I wouldn't think so. I'd like to see one more debate if and only if they cut mics. Virtual debate, I think. Yeah. I'd love to see Donald Trump stew if he oh, uh, if his mic gets cut. Raven on mute. That would be so yeah. good. That would be that would be <laughs> so awesome. And it's necessary really, but so if, if they if they were to do something like that, not that he would really agree to it necessarily most mm-hmm. likely, but um that's the only way I'd really want to see another debate. But um yes. but I mean there, I mean, there's almost no need for the debates. If the debates hadn't been held this year, every the voters already know most of what they need to know. Yeah, this this, this, not this like presidency is re- responsible for the largest loss of American life uh, in probably a century, as mm. far as a, a a sudden preventable cause. You know, I'm not talking about like cancer or car accidents or something that's you know mm-hmm. pretty much factored into a day to day life. Yeah, um, and they've destroyed the economy with the response i mean i don't know i mean how many how many jobless people are there in america right now how many people have like eight percent unemployment or something right now Uh, south korea has got high unemployment right now too from this but shutdowns things like that i mean restaurants are still open bars are still open things are still open people are still out on the streets it's like the economy has to be better in better shape here than it is back in america as far as activity economic activity consumption yeah disposable income for, for many people yeah that's that's such a mind blower that that's like that over there it's just so different here <laughs> so. yeah yeah it's i mean and, and we they've been holding it down to you know they've been they've mm-hmm. held it for most of the last week to less than 100 new cases per day nationwide yeah i see america you know forty thousand. 50,000, 60 mm-hmm. some thousand today per but, day. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Total insanity. Un- yeah, I, you know, in a way I can't even imagine what it's like back there. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's 12.6 million in September out of work, 7.9% unemployment. Okay. Latest, latest figures. Yeah. And then, and you talk about people, you know, even before all this stuff happened, there's, you know, there's those statistics out there, those horrific statistics about, X number, X percentage of Americans, if they had an emergency next month, would not have mm-hmm. enough money on hand to. They've got like 300, 400, less than $400 in the bank. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, and those people, and maybe they got $1,200 like six months ago maybe. or whatever, maybe. Mm-hmm. And maybe, and what did they do with that? It doesn't last six months. I guarantee Heck, you that. No, it doesn't last no. six months anywhere. No, absolutely you, not. I mean, and, they're, and they're still dithering on on a new plan. And uh, I don't know. Pelosi might let it run out the clock because she probably didn't want to give him the win. But it's a lot of people are going to get hurt if that happens, which I'm yeah. not well, thrilled about. So. Yeah. I No, I saw her earlier uh, this morning. I watched her on um, with Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> As you know, there are Americans uh, who are being evicted from their homes. They can't pay the rent. Many Americans are waiting in food lines for the first time in their lives. Uh, can you look them in the eye, Madam Speaker, and explain why you don't want to accept the president's latest stimulus offer? Well, because uh, thank you very much. 
uh, Wolf, and I, I hope you'll ask the same question of the Republicans about why they don't really want to meet the needs of the American people. But let me say to those people, because all of my colleagues, we represent these people. Uh, I have for over 30 years represented my constituents. Uh, I know what their needs are. I listen to them, and their needs are not addressed in the president's proposal. So when you say to me, why don't you accept theirs, why don't they accept ours? Our legislation is there uh, to do three things primarily, to honor our workers, our, honor our heroes, our healthcare workers, our police and fire first responders, our teachers, our transportation, sanitation, food workers, the people who make our lives work. We couldn't be doing what we're doing without them. Many of them have risked their lives so that they had to save lives, and now they will lose their jobs because but they really, they says, really, let the states go bankrupt. Excuse me for let interrupting, the states go bankrupt. Ma Madam Speaker, mm -hmm. but they really need the money right now. Uh, and even members of, I of your own- I understand that, but your, if- But even members if you of your own question, caucus- Even members of your own caucus, Madam Speaker, uh, want to accept this deal. $1.8 trillion, Congressman Ro Khanna, yeah, yeah, for example. Minute, but let, me just, let me just quote Ro Khanna, a man you know well. I assume you admire him. He's a Democrat. And he just said this. He said, people in need can't wait until February. $1.8 trillion is significant and more than twice the Obama stimulus. Make a deal. Put the ball in McConnell court. So what do you say to Ro Khanna? What I say to you is, I don't know why you're always an apologist. And many of your colleagues, apologists for the Republican position. Ro Khanna, that's nice. That isn't what we're going to do. And nobody's waiting till February. I want this very much now, because people need help now. But it's no use giving them a false thing just because the president wants to put a, a check with his name on it in the mail that we should not be doing all we can to help people pay the rent, put food on the table, to enhance benefits, that they don't lose their jobs if they're state and local. That they, that this, we're talking about the consequences of a pandemic, that the symptoms of a problem that the president refuses to address. But you know, and that is, and that is the coronavirus. We know, that we, is we the, know coronavirus. the problem out there, but there are millions of Americans who have lost their jobs. They can't pay the rent. Their kids need the food. That's right, and that's what we're trying to get done. $1.8 trillion, and the president just tweeted, stimulus, go big or go home. He wants even more right. right now. So why that's not right. why not work on that's a deal right. with him and don't let the perfect, as they say here in Washington, be the enemy of the good? Well, I will not let the wrong be the enemy of the right. What's wrong with $1.8 trillion? Well, I, you know what? Do you have any idea what the difference is between the spending that they have in their bill and that we have in our bill? Do you realize that they have come back and said all these things for child tax credits and earned income tax credits or helping people who have lost their jobs are eliminated in their bill? Do you realize they pay no respect to the fact that child care is very important for people whose children cannot go to school? because they're doing remote learning, and yet they minimize the need for child care, which is the, is the th th threshold with which people, mothers and fathers, can go to work if they have that. Do you have any idea of how under, that's precisely uh, why, Madam short their that, concern? That, that's why it's so, concern. it's so important right now. Yesterday, I spoke to Andrew Yang, who says the same thing. It's not everything you yeah, want, but, you know but what? there's you, a lot okay. there. Honest to God, you really, uh, I can't get over it because Andrew Yang, he's lovely. 
Rokana, he's lovely. They are not negotiating this situation. They have no idea of the particulars. They have no idea of what the language is here. I didn't come over here to have you. So you're the apologist for the Obama, excuse me. God forbid. Madam, Madam Speaker, I'm, God I'm not an apologist. Obama. I'm asking you for, serious questions because so many people are I'm in desperate you need we, right now. Let me yeah. ask you this. Okay. When was the last time? Let me, you, let me respond well, to well, you. Let me ask you, you. When was the last time, Madam questions. Speaker, when was the last time you spoke with the president about this? I don't speak to the president. Speak why not? His, why his not call him? Why not call him and say, Mr. President, let's work out a deal. It's not going to be everything you want. Not going to be everything I want. But there are so many Americans right now who are in desperate need. Let's make a deal. What makes me amused, if it weren't so sad, is how you all think that you know more about the suffering of the American people than those of us who are elected by them to represent them at that table. Uh, it is unfortunate that we do not have shared values with this White House and that they have in their bill, why don't you talk about in their bill, a tax break for the wealthiest families in the country while they cut out the earned income tax credit for the poorest families in our country and the poorest children in our country. Uh, that we have to fight with them to get them to address the coronavirus crisis because they have said it was a hoax, it was magical, it was a miracle, it was going to cure it. It hasn't. And that's why we find ourselves in this situation. I feel very confident about the knowledge that I bring to this, but more importantly, the knowledge that my chairs, our chairs of jurisdiction, science-based, academically uh, documented, institutionally uh, suggested in terms of what the cost would be to do it and to do it that way. But and about, say, we talk about uh, child care, yes. We talk about safety in the workplace. Safety in the workplace, that's a very important issue, especially in the time of the pandemic. So what I say to those people is, we're going to get a deal. And when we do, it will be retroactive. It will be retroactive. Here's, a, here's what you wrote in a letter to House Democrats, Madam Speaker. And I ask these questions only, as you know, so many millions of Americans are suffering right now. Well, you right quote now. two people who know nothing about the agreement. Well, or not, there is no agreement. But what the suggestions are, as if there's some authority on the subject. Please, uh, give uh, equal weight to 12, I, I, to all of the chairmen on the committee who have written this bill. But so many of your fellow Democrats in the House, they want a deal right now. No, they, that isn't. The problem solvers, they all want a deal right now. Yeah. And, and here's what they're complaining about, because you wrote a letter to House Democrats and you said this. Let yeah. me read a line from the letter uh, you wrote. The president only wants his name on a check to go out before Election Day and for the market to go up. Is that what this is all about? Uh, not allow the president to take credit if there's a deal that no, will help millions of Americans that. right now? He's not that important. But let me say this. With all due respect, with all due respect, and you know we've known each other a long time, you really don't know what you're talking about. If the plural of anecdote is not data. Yes, there's some people who said this or that. Overwhelmingly, my caucus wants what is right for the American people. Overwhelmingly, our chairman who wrote the bill, read their statements. They all put out their own statements when they saw what the White House was proposing. So do a service to the issue and have some level of respect for the people who have worked on these issues, written the bill to begin with. Now, let me just say this in terms of the numbers. I want people to do the math. We had 3.4, which would meet the needs of the American people for a sustained period of time so that there was some certainty in what would happen. 
The Republicans said, no, well, so we took it down a trillion dollars by cutting the time. We took it down another two trillion dollar, 200 trillion, 200, excuse me, 200 billion dollars. So we're now 1.200 billion dollars down. We came down to 2.2. At the same time, since tomorrow will be five months since we passed the bill, at the same time, the small, because there was no resolution, Mitch McConnell said, let's pause. The virus didn't pause, and now we're at a place where we need more money. We need more money for PPP, for our small businesses. We need more money for our airlines. We need more money for our schools. So we have absorbed nearly a half a trillion dollars more of expenses still within the 2.2 by cutting I understand all of that, and I have only the greatest back. respect so for you. So do the math. Madam we have Speaker, come down, I have only the greatest respect for you. We have come down 1.6 uh, or to 7 point out, trillion dollars. $1.8 trillion. $1.8 trillion is a lot of money. The American people need that money ASAP because they're suffering right now. And I, I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm and saying... And you don't care how it's spent. And you don't I, care I care, of course, spent. how it's spent. But I, what I well, don't, don't understand even know is how it's why, spent. Not, why not talk even know to how the president spent. personally, call him up and say, Mr. President, let's get a deal tomorrow. Look, let me say this. The president has sent Mr. Mnuchin to negotiate. That's what we've done with other presidents. This isn't unusual. What's President Bush... We had, we did this quite a bit because that's how you negotiate. You, and then you take it to the president. This, Mr. Mnuchin, I think he has integrity representing his position. I, I, may I finish, please? But his, he has integrity representing his position, but his position has no integrity. They do not share our values. Have a little respect for the fact that we know something about these subjects. And there's a big difference between Democrats and Republicans in whether they want to give a big tax cut to the wealthiest people in the country in their bill, in the CARES Act. We tried to take it out in this bill. Instead, they took out uh, earned income tax credit, child tax credit, expanded health benefits to um, on, uh, uh, UI benefits to the extent that it was agreed to before. Right. So this is, uh, I have every confidence in what, uh, and the arguments that we make because it's based on science and uh, documentation. Our chairs know their stuff. They know what they're doing with all due respect to the kind of people you were referencing. And I welcome their enthusiasm. I welcome their interest. I welcome their originality of their thinking. But the fact is, we have a responsibility to meet the needs of the American people in a retroactive way, so they're not at a total loss. They are at a loss because the president has ignored the virus. Right. I wish you would spend time on the fact that if he had not ignored the virus, we wouldn't be in the position we're in. But we are. And what we are. And let me say about that also, I hope that uh, I'm pleased that these um, pharmaceutical companies are taking the responsible position to halt and hopefully then resume uh, because we want the public to have confidence in whatever therapies or whatever vaccines come along, that they will take them. Right. And to people who say, well, I don't trust Trump on that, if we trust the uh, uh, Food and Drug Administration for what, for what they are doing, the scientists there who've been working 24-7 for months and months and months, excellent science, the science should call the shot. And when they let's do, we hope, should all and, trust and, it. And let's hope they get more treatments 
Let's hope they get a vaccine. And Madam Speaker, yes. I, I res certainly respect you, but I also respect Ro Khanna. I respect Andrew Yang. I respect members of the Democrats who are members of the problem solvers. They want a deal because so many people right now well, are suffering. Well, the problem suffering. solvers, by the way, don't have any earned income tax credit or tell tax credit in their proposal either. But let's not but go it, into it that. Yeah, we, you evidently do that. not respect the chairman of the committees who I wrote these I respect, bills. I respect and all I of you. And I wish you would respect the knowledge that goes into getting uh, the, uh, the meeting the needs of the American people. But again, you've been on JAG defending the administration all this time with no knowledge of the difference between our two bills. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to say that to you in person. All right. Madam Speaker, these are, these are incredibly difficult times right now. Uh, and we'll leave it on that note. Thank you so much yeah. for joining now, we'll us. We'll leave it on the vote that you are not right on this, Wolf, and I hate to say that to All you. Right. But I feel confident about it, and I feel confident about my colleagues, and I feel confidence in my chairs. And it's not about me. It's about millions of Americans who can't put food on the table, who can't pay the rent, and we represent them. And we represent them. Getting by these long food and lines we represent that we're seeing. Them. I know we you know are. Them. I'm, I'm just we saying. We represent them, and we know them. As we, we say, we know them. We represent them. Don't let yes. the perfect be the enemy of the good, as they say. It is here nowhere in near perfect. Madam Speaker, always the case, but we're not even close to the good. All right, let's see what happens because every day is critically, critically important. Yeah, kind I heard a, about kind of an uh, alien versus predator situation there. <laughs> no matter who wins, we lose. But um, but you know, she did not come off well, and he was no. really sticking to her on this and stuff. And I mean, to be fair to her. I mean, I, I do feel like a lot, the Democrats right now are perhaps necessarily a little bit in a holding pattern. In three weeks, Joe Biden's probably going to win. If they, yeah, but they're not going right, to get anything out of a lame duck Trump. That's true, and that's going to delay any kind of a uh, any kind of uh, help for another you know three or four months here till January. Yeah, yeah. but February, but, I mean, like. But Mitch McConnell has held up the any any more help for the past seven months. Yeah, but virus cases are just about to spike in the winter, even more than they are now. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's true. Um, from what I understand, the 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 bill that Donald <laughs> Trump my, wanted. It's, to... it's my money, and I want it now. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. But at J.G. Wentworth, we say get cash now for your structured settlement. J.G. Wentworth, cash now. It's your money. Use it when you need it. J.G. Wentworth is right. It's my money and I need it now. 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 Oh, well, well, okay, but Bob, like, I mean, to, to phrase it a different way, if she and I even had another on this kid issue, since this last check came out, so I'd be getting more money. <laughs> <laughs> See, Bob, greed, personal greed is always the downfall of everyone in politics. <laughs> more money for me. What about me? <laughs> no, I, I get it. I get it. But OK, well, Bob, like if 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 OK, she wanted she wanted two point two million won or uh, talking about Korean money. She wanted a uh, 2.2 trillion dollar stimulus or uh, uh, payout, right? He came up to 1.8. That's pretty good. 1.8. From what I understand, and I, I, from what I've heard from somebody online, is that the bill um, also basically indemnifies all corporations and all companies that if they make their workers go back to work and their workers get sick because of it, they cannot be legally held responsible. Mm. 
And when you think about how many people have been forced to go back to work across the country, if everybody, yeah, if nobody has any legal recourse, if they are forced to go back to work by companies that are getting bailed out by Trump and, you know, and he wants them to go back to work and they die and get sick and die and stuff like that. And then they cannot, uh, you know, uh, the re- Republicans are anti-life. It's like they pro-birth anti-life. <laughs> yeah, they uh, I mean, if you think about it, like that they're they're fucking up pre-existing conditions they don't want people to get covered for pre-existing conditions they they pay lip service to it but they don't actually do it COVID 19 is going to be a massive pre-existing condition for a lot of people yep um they want you to go back to work but if you get sick and die from your work they don't want you to be able to hold the job responsible for making you to come back in an unsafe situation because they want Mm -hmm. you to come back too Mm -hmm. i mean the yeah i mean like i don't know I don't. And if you're if you're Nancy Pelosi and you, and you make a deal on this weak sauce bailout three weeks before the election, when Donald Trump hasn't signed anything for seven months. And if that moves the needle enough that he wins the election. Yeah, Bob, you could get a little money now, but would you rather wait four more months to get your money? Or would you rather wait four more years if Donald Trump wins again because of that? You really think that would be enough to push him over the edge? Just getting that check. I don't think so. I don't know, but I can understand to some degree, democratic reticence on this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I know, you know, I know it, it hurts Democrats to be seen to be, you know, so far Republicans have been holding it up and now it looks like everybody's playing politics to people who, uh, you know, just want to, you know, knee jerk blame, uh, blame, uh, blame politicians for everything. Like, Oh, all politicians are the same. Oh, they're all playing politics. and da-da. Yeah. But what's the goal here? The goal is get this maniac out of power ASAP so that we can actually do something Mm-hmm. Not, you know, indemnify everyone, uh, uh, indemnify the companies for killing people here necessarily and giving people less money mm-hmm. than they, you know, should be getting. And they would be getting under a Biden administration. So, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm curious, like, I'm really curious, um, like people who like to split their ticket they're like okay okay i'm going to vote for i'm going to vote for joe biden but i'm going to keep voting for my republican senator they were going to be fired the thing here is after the election republicans no longer have any incentive to give money to anybody they're going to want to kneecap the democrats so i do think there's an argument that if if you let the if you let the republicans keep the senate or any any positions where they can they can uh, gum up the works on any kind of financial recovery like they did in two th- after the 2008 crisis if they can gum up the financial, if they can gum up the enforcement of masks or any kind of thing like that, you've got to really consider that when you think about letting a Republican stay in the Senate or anywhere at all. You know, if you let them hold one one section of the government, they're going to use that to screw up anything. And after Donald Trump is no longer president, the Republicans have no more. They're going to they're going to go back to complaining about the deficit, the budget, all this stuff that they don't do while they're in power. But they're going to try to say, oh, my God, I can't believe Joe Biden wants to give people a thousand dollars a month or two thousand dollars a month or whatever he might want to do for people at that point, which may be necessary. So, I don't know. I don't know what Nancy Pelosi did. I don't know what she should have done. And I think, you know, Wolf Blitzer, you know, I, I would like to see how Wolf Blitzer questions people like Joe Mc, or like uh, McConnell when he comes on the on the show. Like okay, you almost called him Joe McCarthy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it, it was not a good look and her behavior on the show was uh, a little bit disgusting. I mean, she did not answer the question. Well, I don't know how she should have answered it. Maybe mm-hmm. if you're this close to an election and you're a widely disliked figure of the Democratic Party and you don't want to say or do anything that's going to upset the, the Joe Biden apple cart. Maybe you just tell Wolf Blitzer, hey, I'm not going to come on today. I'll see you in three weeks. OK, mm-hmm. maybe that's what you do. Right. <sighs> Anyways, yeah. But, uh, well, thanks for, thanks for doing all that work with the notes and everything. Uh, it's maybe the last one of the election season. I'm almost nostalgic, but <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe we can do something around election night or around inauguration or who knows what. Yeah. I might catch some of those town halls after the fact. I heard that the moderator of the Trump one might have done a good job. So yeah, yeah, that that might. I, I'm and by the way, I'm pissed at him. him uh, I'm pissed at NBC right now for uh, yeah counter-programming the Joe Biden. You know, Ridiculous. Donald Trump canceled the debate with Joe Biden. Joe Biden says, okay, well, I'm going to do an event during the same time that we would have been doing the debate, but, you know, Donald Trump is too chicken shit to face me. And then Joe Biden's like, oh, 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 I want to do counter-programming to Joe Biden's event. And NBC gives him the thing, say, no. Like, have some journalistic solidarity. No, go do the debate you're supposed to be doing if you want to challenge, mm-hmm. if you want to fight with Joe Biden. Like, you know, we're not going to give you, you – you're bad for this country. And mm-hmm. it's like I mentioned on Twitter somewhere, like, it's like CNN's – was it Jeff Zucker or somebody was like, oh, Donald Trump may be bad for America, but he's good for good for our ratings. Uh, I think it might have been Les Moonves at CBS. Okay, there you go. He got me. He got me too. After that, also. But okay. was it CBS? I I, I was. I, thought I, I was believe. CNN. But um. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> so anyways, yeah, I'm gonna say like yeah, like NBC. If you if you platform him for this thing and he wins, I mean, is that do you really want that on your conscience because he was able to again successfully. Uh, suck the media attention away from the guy who should be the president to save lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a this is not a this is not a this is not a theoretical question at this point. Like, do you really want more <laughs> Americans to die by giving this guy another chance? He had a chance. He had a chance to have media coverage that night. He threw it away. Mm-hmm. But once again, individual institutions, just like I mentioned, the uh, the presidential debate commission or whatever, mm-hmm. when they when they come to a situation where they're tempted by Donald Trump with something or ratings or, you know, platforming or whatever, they give him the benefit of the doubt. And then it, you know, it bites him in the ass. It bites everybody in the ass. So, yeah, whatever. I got to stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. But. All right. Well, anyways. Yeah, Bob, I better. It's been a long day over here. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long. You, you've heard me yammering for far too long here. So, uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, well, uh, thanks for jumping on the phone here. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, for sure. All right. Yeah. Yep. Good luck, Bob. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. You too. Bye.
Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.